Uh, well, uh, welcome to my brand new Diabolical podcast. Uh, I believe this will be our third episode ever. Uh, and with me today is my uh, friend Colin Moriarty. Uh, we, we both kind of have villainish names. Yeah, like, we do. <laughs> I, I love your name, though. I love, like, um, it's just, like, to the point, you know? Mine, mine takes a little too long to get there. So. Yeah, you have you have quite a few more syllables than yeah, me. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you know Moriarty—that's a great sort of classic Sherlock Holmes villain. Uh, Kane—I don't know. I I think I prefer the the vampire to the biblical uh, the biblical one, but I'll, yeah, they're always villains. So yeah, I was thinking too, like um, you know, Final Fantasy IV, kind of this. Oh yeah, the the sometimes hero, sometimes villain. Uh, best friend of the protagonist so yeah it's been yeah, it's a good it's name a hot it's a, it's, minute. yeah everyone <laughs> there's just only one reference to my name and it's that you know you can really play yeah. around with yours um although now Fallout three there's my, i'm named out you know there's a character named colin moriarty in fallout 3 as well which is there yeah there is although he's like the bartender at, um in megaton or whatever and okay it's just a coincidence but uh that's a hell of a coincidence yeah definitely huh. definitely and i'm sorry if, if, if your audience is watching i'm like wiping my face down just got, I just got out of the shower and ran over here, so didn't give myself enough time to like cool off, I guess. And you're in Virginia. I am so in Virginia. Yeah, central it's Virginia. It's humid there. Right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have AC, but um, at the same time, we like, we always have our door open so our dog can get in and out. So I don't feel like it's ever really quite as cool as I'd like right. it to be. Also, my girlfriend likes it a little warmer, so I don't want to like, you know, blast her out of here either. Yeah. yeah that's tricky. I, I feel like girlfriends generally do like it warmer. I, I always want it colder. Um, it's dry here. It's really freaking dry. It's, we've got a, like a 24,000 acre fire creeping towards town right now. There's half the town's on evacuation notice. So it's really it's exciting times. We'll take some humidity. Yeah. That's scary. <laughs> I mean, yeah, down yeah. here it's just, it's just gross. You know? Like, yeah. I, I go outside just to bring the garbage can in and I'm like, oh my God, like you're dying. It's horrifying. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a, I'm used to it either, but I don't think I am, you know? So it's also, well, you were in people are immune to it you know you were in la right yeah i was in la for three years and then san francisco for 10 years before that and okay then, um, so before that i was yeah. out east so boy of those three areas san francisco has really nice climate i have to say oh I, yeah it's perfect sweatshirt I, weather. i love it sweatshirt yeah. weather is what i always say it's mm -hmm. perfect it gets a little hot in september um but and no one has ac there either but right. it's uh usually i love overcast skies i like seattle a mm -hmm. lot too for that we just we just booked a flight to Seattle actually just before this podcast started. We had um, we had some credits from COVID times, and we're like, where should we go? We should go somewhere in Seattle. You know, it sounded cool. Yeah, Seattle's so, awesome. It's um, yeah, it's like it's it's beautiful in the sense that it's like this kind of alpine thing, with pine trees. And right, it doesn't snow, but it's like it sometimes does. But just pine trees and like very rainy and overcast, beautiful mountains, Mount Rainier, and all that stuff. It's highly recommended. Yeah, I, I lived in Seattle when I was two years old. So my, you know, my, my, I've been there a few times as a kid since then, but I've never really like gone to Seattle since I've grown up and have my own, you know, freedom and money and all that. So it's, it seems like a pretty cool spot to explore and just like Washington in general. Definitely. And it's green. <laughs> it's green and wet and I'm sick of dry and and brown, so yes, yeah, this is where you are right now. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we have a lot of forest here, but it's just so dry. Um, so yeah, well, thanks for for being on. Um, you know, I know you you've got a you know massive 
huge successful podcast and and whole thing going. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about you know about Colin's Last Stand and the whole the whole project you're doing. But I thought maybe before that we could kind of rewind, talk about how you got into game journalism sure. and kind of like your your origin story a bit. Yeah, um, I guess. Well, I was born in 1984, and my brother Dagan, who a lot of my audience knows because we do a show together, um, he's 11 years older than me, and he's the oldest of the four of us, and I have two sisters, and then it's me. So I grew up really into very nerdy things from a very early age. My brother is like a proto-nerd in a lot of ways. He was going into Chinatown in the late 80s and buying undubbed anime and doing, you know, going and buying like import games and playing Neo Geo and Turbo Graphics, just like really random shit he and his friends were into. And um, I really just took to it as a kid. And I have really great memories of that. And part of that was the gaming magazine vibe and especially the strategy guide thing. I really loved strategy guides as a kid and the Dragon Warrior games on NES, people might remember came with like all these pamphlets and um, like maps and you would like fold them out and it would show you all the enemy stats and stuff. And I, my friends would play the game or my brother would play the game because I was kind of, you know, I was like six or seven. I didn't really understand it, but I was like really obsessive over these different stats and all this. And it just really, I think, burrowed into my brain, something that I wanted to do. And um, I guess like the advent of the internet and, you know, I got on the internet in 96, I guess, um, that I was immediately involved with gaming stuff, like wherever we could do it. And people might remember PlayStation Magazine used to have, um, these like ad, like you could put an ad in for yourself. Like I'm into this kind of game. Here's my email address. Email me if you're interested in this. And it's like this kind of pen pal thing. And then they'd also have like the storefront kind of thing where you can buy and sell stuff. And I, f I started meeting people uh, through that, like in 1996, 1997 and trading games. And, and then before you knew it, you found your way to like IRC and all these early fan sites and game facts and game facts is really where like I became known for something. And that was um, in high school. And that was a really cool thing. And I just did it for fun. And, um, really took my, I used to write strategy guides in my notebook or write them on my computer in my room and upload them. And I, I, IGN just happened to have found my work and, and liked it. It was really just a very lucky thing. There was many of us that were doing this. So, um, really good timing on my part. So that's, that's really how it began. Yeah. Nice. Luck is such a huge part of every success story. I feel like, like Definitely. there is, there's some, <laughs> there's some moment when some serendipitous thing happens and you're just like, okay, if, if that hadn't happened, like where, where could my whole life have gone? You know? Um, I mean, luck and hard work and all that's like a concoction of different. Yeah. Uh, luck is, luck is essential. I mean, I, I always yeah. say that you can like do a bunch of things to control the outcome and you can do a bunch of things to not control the outcome. Like, or there are a bunch mm -hmm. of I guess, factors that don't, that you can't control. So you can control the work you put in you can control like leaving it all on the field or putting in maximum effort effort or studying really hard or investing the proper amount of money or whatever it is, but you can't really manipulate like the astrological ether. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, I, so there's Not only yet. so much you can do. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And like, so I just look at it as a dice roll and you can kind of weight your dice, but you can't, yeah. you can't totally control the way it comes out. Yeah. For better or worse, I suppose. Definitely. Um, man, strategy guides. That's an interesting topic. I remember my first strategy guide for any game was for might and magic Two. Back on, um, God, it was just like we had an old like Mac, and that that game had so much depth to it, and you really couldn't play that. You you really couldn't get through it without a guide because there was just so much going on. It was 
it, it kind of yeah. I, I guess I didn't. I haven't. I never got into strategy guides too much, but for that game, I, I think I read it you know front to back multiple times. Yeah, it speaks to a certain kind of person. Like I knew people. My friend Corey, growing up, like he would buy strategy guides for every game because he just liked to. Like I remember him having like all the PS1 RPGs and even like obscure N64 games like Quest 64 and all that. He would buy the strategy guides for him, and he just enjoyed like completing everything. And I guess I got into the other side of that, which was like, can I contribute in some way to this? Because it's really cool and it's fun for me. And then it became not fun later on when you do it for a living and stuff. But it took many years <laughs> to get to the point of breaking. And, uh, you know, I didn't break until 2010 or something like that when I was like, I can't do this anymore. But, yeah, so that was, that was the way I got in. And it was a very lucky thing. And I'm very fortunate for that experience. A lot of great writers wrote right alongside me that just went and did normal jobs later on. So, yeah. 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 Well, roll the luck. Um, so, so guides and then to IGN and how long were you at IGN for? I was, I wrote for them from 2002 to 2014 and I was full time from 2007 to 2014. So, um, and I was an intern twice and all that before that. So, um, yeah, I was associated with them for a long time and 12 years, I guess. And it was a really great thing. I loved it. It was awesome. Yeah. And then you went on and you did uh, Kind of Funny. Yep. I, we, we founded Kind of Funny. We technically founded what would become Kind of Funny, I guess, in 2012. But we, we um, spun out our Patreon in 2014. And then we started what is now really Kind of Funny, which is January 5th, 2015. And yeah, I did that for like two years and change. And then in 2017, I started, I left that and I started the, what I'm doing now, basically. So, so. What, what was the impetus to, to break off and do Kind of Funny? Um. I don't think we were really that uh, – well, it's a, lot, a few things. I don't think we were very happy doing what we were doing anymore. I do think we were completely underappreciated. Um, I can't speak so much for the other guys. I guess I'll let them speak for themselves. But I totally was underpaid and underappreciated. I was making like 70 thousand dollars, which is – for what I was pulling in at IGN traffic-wise and stuff, a complete joke. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I really should have gotten paid like – honestly, like double what I was getting paid. And uh, – <laughs> I didn't really ask for more. I just was like, you know, they offered me a lot more. They offered me a promotion editor at large, which is what I always wanted. They finally relented, but um, it just was too late. And I really appreciate all of them over there. Really nice people. Per Schneider is an amazing person and others that I worked with. Most of them are not there anymore. But Damon Hatfield, of course, uh, Ryan McCaffrey, really great dudes. But for us, we just kind of realized that we don't – we we thought that maybe the site needed us more than we needed the site and that people would come along with us. And I actually really remember a few pertinent things at IGN early in my career when I was like an intern and, a, and just a freelancer where they were really quite convinced no one cared about who wrote what, um, mm. that was pretty much prevailing wisdom. And mm-hmm. I thought they were dead wrong. I thought they were wrong from the very beginning. Like I remember thinking that's, that's totally not true. And we kind of, they realized it later, of course, but we kind of proved the rule. And you can see, like, Podcast Beyond continues without us, for instance, five years later or six years later. But it's not the same show, um, kind of like a Tonight Show sort of thing. So I think it was just kind of a time for us to, to move on. And um, I remember people were most skeptical internally about me leaving because I was so long associated with the site. And I also was the one that seemed to have been uh, less or least likely to succeed, I guess, or be catered towards in a... Um, influencer world or whatever you want to call it but obviously that ended up not being true either so why why do you think that was well i think out of the the four of us nick tim greg and i they were on the video side explicitly on ign i was the 
senior editor of the editorial side. So I was the guy really dealing with the games themselves and writing a lot. And we did podcast beyond every week and we did a bunch of videos. I, I made a, a few video series there and stuff, but I think people just thought like Colin is inherently a writer. Um, and I think people totally underrated what I brought to the kind of alchemy of podcast beyond and IGN PlayStation and stuff like that as well, which I think bore fruit later. So I think people were just kind of skeptical about that. I remember having a conversation with a higher up at IGN just being like, yeah, I, you know, I don't think you're making the right choice here kind of. Um, and I appreciated that because I don't think they were saying it in a mean way or anything like that, but it, it just, uh, it ended up being different. And I think I kind of just saw that, um, things were changing. Things were becoming more personality driven. And mm-hmm. we were one of the first, we were really the first proving ground on Patreon of like that. This could really work. And, um, yeah. for like a corporation, like for a company, and so we're, I'm proud of that. I'm proud to have been associated with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's, I mean, it's, it's taking a risk and, and getting out and trying something new. I, I think that now, you know, I, I certainly, you know, feel like I should rewind and, and have started something similar years ago because, of course, you know, in, uh, if you rely too much on, on uh, the good graces of a website and the powers that be, it's never, it's never a, a uh, safe bet. Uh, but you know, like Forbes has been, I mean, it's basically been like, like being a YouTuber or something in terms of you just rolling in huge traffic year after year. And then when they put up a paywall and screw up the SEO and everything falls through the floor, it's like, oh crap. Okay. I guess it's time to do something else. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I know. And it's, and it's the same sort of situation. Like, you, you know, I, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of, of hits I've brought to Forbes, but, um, <clears throat> it's, uh. It's probably not in keeping with the amount I've been paid. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, that, that's the whole thing. Is I, I just think, I kind of think, just to say real quick, I think us leaving, Greg and I were the first real, what you would call, I guess, big website talent to have left their jobs, just to, to have left and gone mm-hmm. and done like independent work. And I think it kind of scared a lot of management and a lot of websites and entities straight. I know that people are treated a lot better at websites now. I know that they're, like, when I hear what people are making now, I'm like, you're welcome, dude, because... <laughs> Yeah. No one was making that when, you know, or just a few of us were making anything like that. And also, I, I just feel like it, it um, I think it showed people like you can do it. Like if you really feel mm-hmm. like you believe, that's why I always make fun of Kotaku and other sites because you, no offense to them. I mean, I'm not trying to be like, it is personal inherently, but I'm not trying to be like super <laughs> rude, but some of these guys have written there for years and no one gives a fuck about them. Like, mm-hmm. and you make fun of, you know, or the Royal, you makes fun of them about that, but it's almost unthinkable. It's like, how do you write for Kotaku and have 4,000 Twitter followers? If I was writing on Kotaku, man, I would be, people would be clicking those things left and right. It's almost like people don't have any idea what they're supposed to do. It's almost, Mm -hmm. it's, it's actually kind of funny to, to, to watch that happen where (laughs) it's, so you see these like large entities that are just lumbering along and and the future is in the independent, um, Mm -hmm. in the independent. It's just, it just is, unless you're scraping SEO or writing wikis and strategy guides or things people are searching for. It's just, it sucks to put all that work in for someone else. And I think eventually we just realize that we should just do it for ourselves. And then I realize mm-hmm. that again, you know, that it's, it's, um, it's better to work for yourself or at least try to. And it's what we said earlier. It's again, just trying to weight the dice. It wasn't necessarily going to work, right. but it did. And I think it's all because we brought something special and something unique. And I don't know that it would even work today. I have no idea. Right. Again, time well, and it, the landscape's changed so much since right. since then. Um, YouTube and YouTubers, that, that whole influencer uh, segment has just grown enormously. Uh, games journalism continues to shrink. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, I think one thing about like Kotaku or some of these sites is you don't know who's writing the post because 
they all have the same take right over and over again it's yeah they're just the same voice yeah, yeah. definitely I mean, is there any sort of like dissident take at Kotaku? It's, it's. No. I mean, maybe once in a while, but or any, you know, Dude, I don't know. Kotaku. I don't. I don't. I don't know what I would. Ha- what I have ever read. Uh, they don't. <laughs> that site sucks, and it's just. I don't understand how you can be given a platform like you're just you're given a built-in platform. Like I was. I didn't build IGN. I'm not. I'm not amongst the the first popular editors there. But when you are given a platform, God Almighty, do something with it. It's pathetic. Right. That's that's yeah. my whole take. Is if I were on Kotaku, I, I would have people clicking my stories and people would be interested in reading them and stuff. And how do you just take like Ethan or someone over there that's been writing there for so long? It's like, how does no one care about you still? How have you written nothing that anyone cares yeah. about in that time, man? You are wasting. This is such a you are squandering this opportunity. I, even if it was someone else that had your same views, at least give it to someone more talented that knows what to do with it. That's the thing I'm sad about, sad about with games journalism kind of folding is. It's, it benefits people like you and me that are in the independence here. I mean, it's great. I, I don't care if these sites go away, but right. it, it bums me out for people that need an, a need that want to get in or want to do useful journalistic type work. And you have a bunch of flunkies basically filling whatever roles are left. And that's, I yeah. think, the most unfortunate part. And then they hire themselves. And, you know, I was talking about this on another show. I think it was on Jaffe's show, David Jaffe, where, you know, I was, I am. IGN was started in the mid-90s as N64.com, etc. I'm probably one of the five biggest editors to have ever written there. And I feel like people shouldn't underestimate why that is. It's not because I'm, like, the world's best writer. I think I'm a good writer, but it's not like, it's not like I have the world's most deep and amazing gaming takes. It's that, <laughs> it's that I just say different things. Right. And I'm not even doing it intentionally. I'm literally just talking the way, about the way I feel. And for some reason, no one realized if I were at one of these sites, I'd be looking for people like me, people like you, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, well, because I, I think mean, that if... that would bring in like a nice little cacophony and a little bit of a different op-ed page style thing. You know, that's the disappointing thing. It's just, uh-huh. where is the talent where I worked with so many great people? Where are, I know, I know literally they're gone, but where are these types of people? Where are the Fran Mirabella's, you know, the, the Hillary Goldstein's, the, the, you know, the Eric Brudvigs and the David Claymans, like the great writers of the past that care, seem to care and have fun and enjoy and not hate their audience and all that. It's a bummer. And well, that is a weird thing. Isn't yeah. It? To hate, so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm on a diatribe. <laughs> no, no. Diatribes are good. I like, I like diatribes. Um, you know, one of the best pieces of writing advice I've seen for like writers trying to get into business is just to be weird. Like be, have your own voice. Cause there's so much of, of the same voice you know, in, in games journalism, but in the media, really more broadly, it's just the same voice, the same story, the same. I mean, God, any anything that happens that's even remotely controversial, there's a dozen, you know, think pieces or or takes, and they're all the same. It's just an echo chamber, and and, if, and I mean, why would anybody remember anybody any of these writers? You know, and then there is that yeah. that built in like antagonism towards the readership. You know, we saw that in 2014, really blow up, I think. And, um, it's just continued and, uh, and gotten worse in a lot of ways. And, and I think that, that the strategy for so many writers now is to say, is just to say the right things so that, uh, the right people agree with you, even if you're just being boring as fuck. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> as I, always, I, you know, it's cowardly, not in the sense that it's, it's like lock stepping in the case of some of these people goose stepping right along. It's more than that. It's that, like, again, they're squandering this opportunity to be honest. And I hear from people behind the scenes all the time. There Mm -hmm. are a lot of 
people in high positions that, in the gaming industry that I speak with that hate these motherfuckers. And the only and I'm just polite enough. First of all, they're my friends and or they're my contacts, and I'm not going to blow them up. That's never the way I've conducted my journalism totally. or my work in the industry. I don't really consider myself a journalist anymore. But also, it does bum me out sometimes because I almost want to be like, you know what? Like, fuck this. Fight your own battle. Why do I always have to like? Why do people like me mm-hmm. always have to take it on the chin, saying the conventional wisdom that people want to hear or they don't want to hear, but they certainly come to listen to and i agree with you i just if i were the editor sometimes i fa- in a weird way fantasize about being the editor-in-chief of ign <laughs> just because it's like what would i do to this site and the reality is is that i would probably fire half the site i would obviously like look into everything and it wouldn't be like this indiscriminate thing but it's like what who has a unique voice who has something to say who knows anything about video games who who wants to speak to people with care it's not even with respect, but like have a have care for the subject matter. Have have some sort of um, insight into how it's made or the troubles and tribulations that it goes through. But don't make assumptions that every game is made under the same circumstances. There's just a lot of ignorance. There's a lot of people that's clearly you know this has been a kind of a point of contention. Although I think an interesting one, like a lot of people circulating the notion that it's like some of these people don't seem to play games. I mean, if you look at their mm-hmm. achievements and their trophies, I mean. You you can look at my trophies all day. I mean, I play more games than fucking anyone, you know, that I that I know in my life. I'm sure not anyone out there, but certainly in my own circle. <laughs> so I just feel like it's like it's a, it's you got to live it. You got to care about it. You shouldn't feel like you have to walk into something and and you and you get to just mold it into your own thing and and ridicule the audience and debase development and all the all the rest and really in a really destructive way. It sucks. Right. It sucks because I don't think most people um, want to be treated like this, but I also don't think most people think this about other people too. I think that most people just want to get along with each other, want to enjoy you know a common hobby and have like reasonable debate about it. You know the whole meme of like you know these guys don't want politics and games and so it's like I've never said that personally. I just want to hear something different. I want to hear someone why why is you know Game Bite or whatever who, which is owned by Tencent writing about the Palestinian conflict, but they're certainly quiet about. Um, the concentration camps in China, you know, it's yeah. a, it's like just, you know, they're certainly quiet about, um, bin Salman owning SNK. I mean, I, I don't see any, so it's just, there's just a lot of nonsense going on out there. And I just wish, um, I feel like we almost have to rewind to square one and like figure out like, what does it mean to be a games journalist? What does it mean to write about games and care about games and be in the media? And I feel like, unfortunately, what it means is that the old way has got to go. And I yeah. think the only sites that are going to survive are the ones that have, have legacy. Like I think IGN and GameSpot will be fine. And everything like that. But I, I, I think otherwise, you know, people like you and me and, and in our sphere, Substack, I'm a huge fan of Substack. I know you're on there. Mm-hmm. Like, um, this is eating everyone's lunch and it's awesome to watch because it's just the way mm-hmm. it is. It's just the market. If you have a problem with it, then take my audience back. You know? Like, yeah. Like, yeah, right. And it's, exactly. I, don't, I don't feel like with the, with the resources <laughs> these guys have, it would be that hard. No. Yeah, but. No, yeah. It's so much squandered uh, potential and resources for sure. And it's funny to watch people in the media, and not just in the games media, but the broader media, freak out about Substack um, because you know, and because they're worried because now there are these independent voices that aren't just saying you know what the mainstream media is always saying. And I think for a long time there's been you know a growing you know sort of the growing uh, progressive woke side of of the mainstream media has been getting stronger and more powerful and then you have the sort of explicitly right-wing media but you don't have a lot of voices in the in in between there and substack i think has given 
you know, and similar sites have given uh, writers who have independent, you know, independent thought and independent ideas uh, more of a voice and more sure. of an ability to be heard. And, it's know, awesome. And so I think it's... people like. I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Please. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying, you know, people like Andrew Sullivan and mm-hmm. Glenn Greenwald and, you know, Matt Tybee and all these guys who are getting onto Substack and doing great work. And, and I think it's, it's freaking people out, which is hilarious to me. It's, it's similar to the, you know, people being freaked out by YouTube when, you know, YouTube started getting a lot of the clicks that were going to, you know, gaming websites. Uh, you know, if you're not, if you're not challenged, if, if these sites aren't challenged and forced to change and forced to grow, then they're going to die. And, you know, I, I can't even feel bad about that. No, I, <laughs> I, I feel the same way. And I'm, I, I'm, I wanted to shout out Substack as well, because I feel like it solves this problem that Patreon and others weren't able to solve, which is like, we needed a place for writing. Mm-hmm. A place where like writing can really natively live. I know that there are writers and novelists and stuff that do Patreon, but and I've met some of them in the past. But it's really mostly for podcasts and art and like all sorts of weird shit, like RSS feed st- style stuff. And I so I, I love Substack coming in because I'm a reader of content. Like I, there are podcasts I listen to. I listen to lots of um, political podcasts and some sports podcasts. No gaming stuff, but I'm a reader of content. So I really mm-hmm. felt like that. You mentioned three writers who I love, um, mm-hmm. and you know I would also give a shout out to others like Barry Weiss and, and others that are doing a really nice job on there. And some people in the gaming sphere, like you, getting involved in there, I think is good because then it starts to create like a bunch of like concentric circles with um, you know little Venn diagrams everywhere where everyone kind of interconnects. And the thing that people don't get, Eric, and I know you get it, is they think people think that this isn't sustainable. But what they don't understand is that the economics of, of this is totally different than the economics of mm-hmm. what they're used to. It's unthinkable that a, a website could not survive on 12,400 people right. coming in. And you're right, but my company is wildly profitable on 12,400 people paying mm-hmm. subscribers. And you wouldn't find 12,400 people that would pay for IGN, for instance, right? Oh, no. And that's a Definitely problem not. for them. So they have to go and, and it's no insult to them. It's the nature of websites. I don't fucking pay for websites, right. really. So they have to rely on other things. Um, SEO, they have to, you know, good social media, whatever the case might be, to make their economics of scale work. But our economics don't have to work like that. They never have to work like that. I never have to reach 100,000 people. I never have to reach, mm-hmm. even though I do, 50,000 people, right? Like, and that's beautiful. And people yeah. will pay for it. And so... When you see like a Glenn Greenwald, yeah, Glenn Greenwald left The Intercept and he's never going to be published in a major paper again, but he doesn't <laughs> need to be. No, be- and even if shit. he only has 5,000 people paying $5 a month to read his stuff, and I'm sure he has much more than that, it's $25,000 a month. Yeah. You know, so no gaming website's paying that to anyone, even though they no. should be. So oh, that's yeah. my whole thing is like, it, it, it almost feels like two Achilles heels, like, they're getting sliced on both of them because it's like the quality of the content and also like just the economic sustainability of it. As long as people, as long as you have a core of people that are willing to pay for the content and you treat them with respect, not with the, what you're saying, they're not always going to hear what they want to hear. I lose people all the time because they don't want to hear what they want to hear, but because you're consistent, you're quality oriented, you Mm -hmm. respect them and all of the rest. And I just think it's so obvious. It's so frustrating to me that these big entities can't figure it out because it's just, it's so obvious. And, and there are a few Spotify, I would say is one of the big entities that understands exactly what it needs to do, but I don't mm-hmm. see many others making plays for, you know, like Spotify just took someone from Barstool. I mean, that's crazy for, you know, like a, a, a podcast for like 60 million bucks. Oh damn. You know, and <laughs> yeah. they paid Rogan a hundred million, obviously. Uh, so yeah. I like, I like seeing some company get it, but it's obviously 
just one example of a, of um yeah. like YouTube doesn't even seem to get it. That uh, you, yeah, it's always the joke, so right? Huge. The meme about them, like you know, Will Smith's on YouTube. It's like who gives a shit? No one goes to YouTube for Will Smith. You <laughs> right. don't even understand your own platform. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know that's another one of these things is the bad management, and and that's you know widespread throughout you know the media business. I would say. You know, oh, it's gosh. there's yeah. so you've got you've got more than two. You've got you know you've got these ideological issues that have have cropped up. You have bad management. You know, you have a lot of sort of I think old school, you know, uh, newspaper people or magazine people who don't know how to adapt. Still don't know how to adapt to the the current realities of of media. Uh, which, as you said, it has a lot to do with personality. It really does have a lot to do with people following people that they you know like at like at Forbes. I've, I've been there for 10 years um, as a contributor and there's still no follower system. You know, you can't just sign up to get posts from one person that you want to read. It, it's crazy yeah. to me. Like why, what's going on? Why don't we have, you, you know, the most basic element of, of getting, you know, loyal readers to be able to follow their, their chosen writers directly on, you know, it just seems like, that would be a no-brainer. But, um, you know, across the whole... And, you know, Forbes, when, when I first started there, they adopted a whole new model of, of, of publishing, when the contributor model, and they brought that over from Chew Slant, which is where I was at before. And that was pretty innovative and forward-thinking in a lot of ways. I mean, they were paying a lot of people to write, which is great. I think it's great to see people paid to write, and you could be very successful if you knew what you were doing. Um, but, you know, and you, the, the sky was the limit in terms of earnings. You know, it was very much like... You, you can go and make a lot of money doing doing this writing business if you can sell if you can if you can publish content that people want to read and you can get out there but even then you know it's still that reliance on SEO that reliance on the whims of Google man like it's that is that's what's hit me this year is Google has just disappeared I and talked to Nicolandra about that who's whew. the EIC of escapists and he was saying when he founded only SP or whatever, that site was basically murdered because Google just cha randomly changed something. Like it, mm -hmm. it went from like something to nothing because of, of that. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's the point is, and you get it is you just have to go to the source. Like you have to find your people and figure out a way to make that work. And the kind of mutual loyalty that you build with an audience like that, like I have a ride or die group of people that are with me because they know that I'm, I think that I'm real. And I think there are a lot of people like me out there, which mm -hmm. is awesome. I think whether you like these people or not, people like Jim Sterling and giant mm -hmm. bomb and all, I mean, these are sim very similar people in this respect, except for their politics are different. So it goes all ways, but sure. I was looking for this quote and I found it. My friend, Michael Malice, who I don't know if you know him, but he's a, he's a podcast, a you know, pretty famous podcaster and political thinker and an and, and, and anarchist basically. Um, he said this on Twitter a few days ago, and I retweeted it. Low-quality people compete for in-group status simply by being consistently and reliably obedient. There's little else for them to offer. And it's kind of what you're saying. It's, it's, the, mm -hmm. exact, it's the exact thing. And I say it over and over again, and it sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's like they, they are fucking up so badly that it's just to people's benefit who even just realize it. Like just even yeah. having eyes open enough to see outside of your little horse blinders, what is actually happening around you. It's so sad. It's like watching a very slow sh sinking ship where no it one is. seems to have any urgency to get off the ship. And well, no, they have urgency yeah. to circle the wagons and to yeah. block and to dogpile people on Twitter and, you know, to bully and to, you know, complain about harassment while harassing people. It's, 
you know, it's been, you know, I kind of like, I tell you, like after Gamergate and whatnot, I kind of, I just kind of got out of the whole politics thing for a while because I just felt burnt out. It was just a lot. And um, getting back in, you know, with my Substack lately and, and actually like taking people to task for some of this crazy nonsense, like the six days in Fallujah bullshit, like it's just amazing how cowardly and how dishonest the, a lot of these people are. It, it's they they don't argue in good faith. They rely on basically lies and on a mob to not even to make arguments, just to try to shout down anyone or block anyone who has a dissenting opinion, and and then to like you know slur the, you know toss around slurs and slander and all that. And it's it's not particularly it's not a good look. I just I don't think it's sustainable. You know this entire approach to actually having some kind of healthy civic debate, even if it's about a video game. Because, you know, it's not just a video game. When you're talking about something like Six Days in Fallujah, you're also talking about history and free speech and, you know, the role of art in society and the role of government in society and the role of government when it comes to art. And But, no, you know, nobody actually, you know, nobody actually wants to engage in these ideas. It just feels like I swear to God, I, ever since I got into writing about video games, I feel like there has, there's such a resistance to actual discussion. Like, I don't know, years ago when I posted the, um, the link to an emulator and got just completely smashed by the gaming press and like Ben Kuchera and all these guys, I was just like, what the hell is this horrible place? Yeah, these guys are also, journalism. they're full of shit. A lot of these places <laughs> use emulators to capture their oh, yeah. footage of older games. So they're also full of shit. I mean, mm -hmm. I can tell you for sure that that was happening at IGN. So, um, yeah. The, well, it's, then, then they post about that shit. I mean, I, I remember yeah. Kuchera had literally a couple of years later posted about, you know, what emulators to use for this and that. And I'm just like, what? Oh, uh, he's one what of the, the worst, man. I, it's like, I don't even see his name pop up anymore. So I don't even know if no. he's around. But, it, like, I just, again, why? It, well, it's not really a huge surprise because people are lamenting what's happening. And like you had mentioned earlier, kind of just political newsrooms. There's an older group of people that are getting eaten alive and they don't mm -hmm. know what to do with the younger group. And I hear from those older people in our sphere at these various sites, like what, what was going on, for instance, with Palestine and IGN. Like I know a lot of, a lot of people at IGN. I was talking, I was talking to people behind the scenes. I know exactly what happened and, and <laughs> management smacked them down you know, mm -hmm. uh, pretty hard and pretty publicly and embarrassingly, whether yeah. or not you agree with that or not, it showed where the power imbalance is, where the power imbalance wasn't quite like that when I was there. And so I think they're also losing grasp of, you're, they're throwing themselves around like they can't be replaced. And unfortunately, when you don't have a voice and you're an automaton, like a fucking battle droid coming out of a ship, you know, the mouth of the open agape mouth of a ship, then, you know, you're just replaceable. Right. It's, it's not, it's like a, it's like a Ford car coming off of a, an assembly line. It's not like you're, so that's the ironic part about it is you would think like some, I don't know, man, I just, I really want one of these sites to be bold enough to just start hiring some counterculture people just to see if it could save them. Yeah. And uh, I don't think they will. Cause I was saying like, I, I don't, you don't hire a person like me. I'm not even sure that I'm far enough to what I'm even talking about. I would love to see people that are like straight up Trump voters and evangelical mm -hmm. Christians and all this. And so, I don't know what that, well, I don't even know what the yeah, fuck they have sure. to say about games because they, they don't have a platform in which to say it. So it's just, it, it, I want that too, but it, it is sad. Yeah, no, that I, I would feel be, like we used to have it and we don't so much anymore. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I don't know if, we, if we've ever had a real strong... I mean, like, maybe maybe Christian conservative uh, game writers. I've never encountered one, I don't think, like, in any sort of prominent role. 
But yeah, diversity of opinions, diversity of backgrounds. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, my politics are eclectic, I guess, but um, I would love to see more, you know, just, just for the debate aspect of it, just because it's more interesting when you can debate with people rather than just always agree with them. You know, like it's, it's just, it's, it's good for your brain. It's, it's good to have different takes. It's good to disagree on things. I love it when, when I have readers who are like, I don't agree with you about this, but they actually bring up points to argue instead of just calling me a, you know, a fascist or a commie or something, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I would love to see more of that. I mean, that's one thing that I have enjoyed at Forbes is that we have, you know, been able to have some sort of debate within the site. And, uh, but at a lot of places it's like, and then readers are conditioned in a, in a bad way also. Sometimes I'll see like a like a forum post where there'll be a, a screenshot of one article and a screenshot of another article and they're saying two different things and they're like, look at these hypocrites, look at them. This, and it's like they're two different authors. Like yeah. this is a good thing. We want this. We want disagreeing headlines at the same publication. I agree with that. Uh, yep. You know, and I think we've conditioned, I think readers are conditioned to think that if if it's Kotaku, they're all going to say the same thing because they do all say the same thing. But now if we had a Kotaku, a, a theoretical, you know, uh, multiverse version of Kotaku where there were radically different ideas and voices, that would be so much more interesting and fulfilling both for the writers and the readers. And uh, I think we've just, I think that more and more over the last decade, I've seen a move towards, towards lockstep, towards... You know, it's, I feel like it's really bizarre. I do think that I probably couldn't get hired at most major gaming outlets um, because of the sort of things that I've written about. But my, my actual controversial takes are like, we shouldn't censor video games and you know, we, should, we shouldn't, um, like with Israel-Palestine, uh, my, my really controversial take was this is a complicated issue with two sides that are both in kind of a shitty situation and we should, you know inform ourselves about the conflict and the history of the conflict before we just make really bold, strident statements about how horrible Israel is, you know? That's not actually very controversial, but it's controversial enough today that, like, you're, you're a persona non grata for saying something like that. Unless you're, you know, I could, I could maybe go write that at National Review or something, but you couldn't get away with that at Kotaku or Polygon or IGN or any of that. I mean, IGN, I guess, is not as not as politicized as some of these sites, I think, but no, I think they're trying. I just think that they're, they're failing to do it. Yeah. I don't think they have the strength as a unit to do it. No offense to them. I just, I don't think they have the appropriate heft. And I also don't think they have the corporate, um, I don't know, culture, like, you know, a yeah. Kotaku or a Polygon does where a Vox or whatever, you know, old school Gawker would allow you to unionize and be political and put, you know, non sequiturs on your timelines and all that. So, <laughs> I agree with you. It's 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 just strange times. I, I feel bad for the audience in a sense because I know people are really clamoring for, um, like some really thoughtful stuff coming out of someone's mouth and gaming. And I'm trying funny. from like my <laughs> my small perspective to just do a little bit. I know I, I see you. I see a few other people doing it, and like I just wish um, it was less about. Like I'll give you a good example, just a general example, a content example. I don't understand what people's obsession with. Um, reaction videos are like live reaction videos, mm -hmm. and when E3 was ha like lead up to E3, people were like, "Are you going to live react to you know Sacred Symbols live reaction?" And I'm like, "Why do you want that? This is yeah. lowest common denominator nonsense of people with their stupid goofy headline or you know thumbnails and 
overreacting to every announcement and all that. Like, don't you want me to think about it? Like, let Mm -hmm. me think about it for a minute. And then I'll give you, like, I'll write the show. And I'll have a bunch of notes. And I'll have things to say. And I I know most of my audience is like that. But I'm still trying to kind of shake some of the audience into this. Mm. Out of this almost complacency of saying, like, no, you deserve better content than a person watching a live show. Who that anyone can do that? Right. It's fun. That what you're supposed I've done to do a million yourself? of them. <laughs> when you I watch just, the video, you're supposed to react to it. Right? Or like someone you, else reacting to it. I mean, yeah, I, I, you I, have just, a, <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, and I mean that's what Twitter's for. Also, yeah. like if you want to shoot off a thought, you can tweet that, like, and then you can think about it and write. I, yeah, I don't get that either. But yeah, most common denominator is you know it's called that for a reason. So I, I agree, <laughs> and I also feel like. I'm trying to just let some of the audience know that they're not the lowest common denominator, that there is better content than – because someone was saying – someone on one of our YouTube videos was like, you know, you guys are so late on this. And I just tweeted back, but our content is better. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of people like thumbed it up. Uh, So I feel like the audience also in this new pay model and this new like fan-funded model and all of that, they – it's also about finding those like-minded individuals that kind of get it and realize, mm-hmm. oh, this is all kind of boring. And, oh, everyone is saying the same thing. And, oh, everyone does have these weird relationships with publishers and developers. Like, we totally stopped even talking to anyone in the gaming really? industry two, over two years ago. We don't take anything from anyone. And, That's smart. Yeah. And it's just, dude, it's so freeing yeah. to just be like to the audience, you know what? We are not going to hit embargo because we don't even have the game yet. And we'll yeah. buy it the same time you do. And then we'll experience it together. And the uh-huh. audience has just grown. They've actually come to take to it because they're like, oh, you feel like a normal person playing mm-hmm. Returnal with me. You know, as opposed – like imagine a, a world where you stopped playing Returnal and reviewed it and then it came out and that was the end. The whole story of Returnal yeah. is, the, is what's happened with it afterwards. So I, I just feel like um, I want to just like let the audience know like we're not just doing it for ourselves. We're doing it because I think that – you'll appreciate the content more if it's more thoughtful. And I also have learned that from just watching and listening to a lot of things outside of our sphere where I think coverage is just far superior. I think sports mm-hmm. coverage is far superior to gaming coverage. I think political coverage is obviously much more mature. So, and I'm not saying mature and like, it's like, you know, very well respectable. It's just mature in an industry. So I just feel like we have to learn from those things and keep our minds open. And, and then all of this, hopefully all this stuff kind of comes out on the wash because as these, I don't want anyone to lose their jobs, but like people will swim or they'll sink. Uh, I think there are certain people, I talked to some of them and I've told them their goddamn faces. I think people like Ryan McCaffrey and Damon Hatfield and those guys like can live and Destin Legary and those guys. They're, if IGN went away, I think they'd be fine. You would think that people would read the room though better and realize, oh, I better get my portfolio in order because um, mm-hmm. Kotaku might not exist in two years. And that's not me being a dickhead. It's just, you know, they removed. Remember, like they, you can just tell no one reads the site anymore. And well, they've lost some big names too. They have, and you know that's all cyclical, like, though. You know, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Jason was was putting out you know some some investigative, more more in depth pieces, but I would say that he was really the only one at the site doing anything really important. Uh, and you know, say what you will about him uh, as. Whatever. Yeah, but, it's, it's neither uh, here yeah. nor there, but I will remind yeah. you, like, the old Kotaku used to burn the fuck out of publishers and actually, like, destroyed their relationships with Sony, destroyed their mm-hmm. relationship. People might remember, K- Kotaku leaked PlayStation Home. They weren't allowed access to PlayStation games for fucking ever. 
They yeah. they leaked all sorts of Ubisoft games and were cut off from Ubisoft for years and years. <laughs> that was it like renegade journalism. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Like that's good shit. You know? Like yeah. that's good shit. We got we've gotten blacklisted by Sony and I'm not even really sure why, but it is it actually is kind of nice because it's just like, well, whatever. Like I know I'm not getting any review codes. I don't I, I never make embargo anyways. I never have. Like yeah. My my Last of Us 2 review came out like 3 months after the game came out, which is super late, but whatever. I just would rather have a good review out there and, you know, trying to hit embargo, trying to play this stupid game with these awful huge you know, corporations, the, these publishers, you know, they're, they don't play the game with us. I don't know why we're supposed to play the game with them. Like Precisely. they're the most opaque, you know, the, the, the walled off corporations in existence. I swear to God, gaming publish it. You know, when I, when I interview people in TV or movies, it's like, here's the phone number for this actor. You guys have a nice phone call. But when I interview somebody in games, it's like, there are four people from PR sitting in the background and we're going to watch every single thing they say. And it's just, it's a mess. And yeah, I just don't know. It's much better to just be honest, even if you're a little late or even if you don't get that, you know, review code and you got to spend 50, 60 bucks on a game. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, yeah, because gamers are, spent, why, do, why not spend the money on a game? Like, then at least, you know, you know, you can feel burned if it sucks. Yeah, I know. Just like everybody else. <laughs> I know ACG, who does Defining Duke on, on, on our network with um, Mr. Matty Plays, I know that he gets games early, but then buys the game for someone, I think, and gives mm. it away. That's and nice. I, to kind of keep it. And I, I like that, although I'm still of the mind that, like you said, just untethering completely from them, realizing mm -hmm. that they have no control over you. you, you everything leads up to these moments where you need them, but otherwise mm -hmm. you don't. And mm -hmm. so. Like I was thinking actually in that in that regard, PlayStation Five came out, right? I ended up getting like two of them for myself and I, I figured it all out just naturally. But I didn't need them. And that was probably the biggest moment that they were gonna have over me for years and years. Yeah. So can sure. you imagine like it's all downhill from there and I still didn't reach out to them and I still don't want to. Mm -hmm. And I think the audience is cool with that. Because not only what we're saying about kind of the realism of it, but sometimes people just like to hear what you have to say. I give a shout out to people like Jim Sterling and um, mm -hmm. Angry Joe and other guys who put up reviews really late, and yeah. people still watch them sometimes by the millions because or Donkey, you know, he's yeah, he, oh, I love Donkey. Yeah, he's great. Like, <laughs> the, you have a unique voice. People will just be like, oh, yeah. sometimes actually some of this stuff is even more. Um, there's more lucidity with it when you've already played the game or experienced something or things have kind of sat out there for a while. I mean, think about Cyberpunk, a really great example. That game burned everyone. Anyone who like pre-orders a game or believes any PR hype, or especially after No Man's Sky, it's like, how many times is this going to happen? Oh These guys, it's not that people are lying to you. It's just that they're seeing, they're seeing really polished builds, and they're, they're not media trained, and they're eating up PR bullshit, and they're going to dinners, and they're getting wined and dined. And by the way, like when you make fifty or $60,000 writing a game, it's, it's, or writing for a game's website, it's hard not to feel special when you go out to a steak dinner and people are sure. picking up $500 or $1,000 tabs in front of you and stuff. And that stuff eats into your mind. And mm -hmm. I, so I just, I'm so much, I feel so much better, Eric, like not being involved in that, not even having oh, no man. worry at all. I just know when the a game decadence, comes out that's the end. The decadence of those events is really something. I've only been to a few because right away I could tell that it's just a, it's, you're walking into really murky ethical waters but like going to those parties after GDC or going to those dinners or, you know, going to the review events and you're get yeah, you get the fancy food, you get open bar and people come around with like the little trays of, of appetizers or they have yeah, they're often putting you up. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like 
And um, of course, because you know Forbes had a, has a policy where you you can't accept travel, you can't accept lodging, but you still can accept dinners and and all that kind of stuff. And you could just look around, and I mean, I would hear people talking about you know their flights, their their hotels, how excited and they were excited for for all this. And I get it, like that's exciting. It's exciting to be flown out somewhere. See, but you know, like. But then you're in their pockets, even if you don't want to, even if you don't think you are, you're in their pockets. Yeah, you're, you're, you're getting flights, you know, you're beholden to them. I mean, I, yep. I can give you so many examples of just looking backwards. I'm like, wow, that was weird. A, a really good example is I went to I think it was in 2011. I went to uh, Bethesda rented out like an entire ski lodge in Utah and oh, they Jesus. did it. They were showing Skyrim, the original Prey 2 that was like or Prey that was canceled. So we saw yeah. that. That was like the human head one. And then they showed, like, I don't know, Hunted the Gathering or something, some other shit. Oh, and Brink was there, Splash Damages game. And we were just kind of there for three days, staying in this beautiful mm. space. They gave us all, like, beautiful jackets, like, fleece jackets. And, and it was just, like, so strange. And that was one of my first experiences like that, too. And I kept experiencing things over and over again and then really writing quite sardonically about them and, and kind mm -hmm. of talking about them on the podcast in such a way I always loved the ones where it was at the very most. I, I remember, like for instance, Fear Three WB like just rented out a pub, and they invited everyone to come play multiplayer and then write about it. And I was like, "That's cool." It's like you don't. Why do I have to go to Paris to see fucking um, right. Assassin's Creed? I mean, that's the kind of shit that people used to do. Yeah, like Ubisoft used to be like, "You want to see Assassin's Creed? You're going to Florence, yeah. and you're going to be there for a week. Or you want to go see Gran Turismo? You're going to go to Polyphony Digital's, uh, you know, racetrack in yeah. Japan." And it's like, but you can just send me a build, and right. then I don't have to do that. And it's it's not like that anymore. It's it's really not. And even in my towards the tail end of my time at IGN, it stopped being like that. Mm -hmm. A really good example is remember uh, the EA game Dante's Inferno. Uh -huh. There was. Do you remember the PR fiasco about that? That's one of the greatest no. things. People can go read about this, but they would EA would send out for each of the deadly sins. They would send out something to the to the outlet or the reviewer and for greed they literally sent like i don't know who it was like jeff haynes or something at ign a 500 dollars check in his name like as like this is greed and it was supposed to be a uh. thing where you're supposed to write about it and all of that but it's like you literally this is a cashable 500 dollars check and you're gonna tell me that no one cashed that check no right. one <laughs> at these outlets cashed that check the other yeah. thing I'll tell you, too, that was really weird mm. is that game game. And this is a funny thing. I was thinking about this lately. People would think this was funny. We used to get games like, you know, you remember a game like uh, FIFA would come out on PS2, PS3, PSP, Wii, GameCube, blah, blah, blah. You get like 17 builds of this game, boxed builds from 2K or whatever. And people used to take these builds at IGN and then just go sell them to GameStop. And people oh, used God. to and people used to accumulate thousands and thousands of dollars in GameStop wow. money by just selling the games back. That was wow. kind of the culture back yeah, then. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, like I, I'm not even going to shout out any names, but I know people that yeah. like never paid for a game because of that. Yeah, so huh. it's very different now. It's not yeah. as it's much more constrained now, but it's also much more boring. I got to say too. I feel like there's yeah. some sort of relationship with that, but. I would rather be boring, I guess, and honest, but I wouldn't blame anyone for seeing situations that I was in and being like, well, Colin's on the take. I wasn't, right. but I don't blame right. you for thinking that if you saw some sure. of the ostentatious shit that I was at and some of the mm -hmm. hotel rooms I stayed in, some of the beautiful things I've been to, it's, it sucks. It's, but when oh, you, yeah. you know what, it, Eric, it's taking advantage of people because it all ties back in. We're young, tw most of us at the time, 
mm-hmm. in our 20s. We're out of college. We make no money. We have no guidance. We have no idea what we're supposed to do. Most of us didn't even major in journalism. And then we're just being like, we're told just like, oh, yeah, you know, go. Uh, it's fine. This is great. Here's an Amex card and you just go to Europe now. You know, no rules. Yeah, I mean, no, we don't know. We have no expectations of you. And it's and like, that's fun. I mean, how are you going to not want to do that? Like, right. of course, like, yeah, you, you, you know, I've never been to Florence. I'm going to go to Florence. Dude, my last New York Comic Con, <laughs> I'll admit this. My last New York Comic Con in 2014, I already knew I was going to leave IGN. Um, and that used to be my favorite show. I wasn't feeling well during the show, so I didn't feel too bad about it. But I just, I always used to go to Gamescom or Tokyo Game Show or something and work really hard. I'd go to E3 and work really hard, just work to the bone. And I was just like, what would happen if I didn't do anything? Yeah. And I went to New York Comic Con in 2014 and I didn't do anything. I didn't go to yeah. any appointments. I didn't go to any panels. I like, I think I went to Long Island to see my dad. I like, and then no one said anything. And I was yeah. like, what is. Okay. <laughs> was I even working hard for any reason at all? It's just weird. It was just a weird yeah. kind of thing to go out on where I had to test the theory and it ended up being true, which is sad. And it makes me I wonder find... like, wow, no one noticed all this time as I was up at four in the morning and in Cologne writing previews for Vita games. Don't give a shit. Right. <laughs> it's, I find it hard to work at those things. Like I went to E3 a couple years ago and it's just, you know, the internet sucks and there's crowds everywhere and you're waiting in lines and by the time you find a place to like get your laptop out like it's just a, it's just a pain in the ass and then you're supposed to go to like the, the you know the parties or the you know the big presentations and i found that like just covering from remotely if i just want to do news stuff it's way easier and everything's of course, oh yeah stream now you know Definitely. so and now of course now in covid times like i you know their game previews are all on online now so you want to do a game preview of the new Assassin's Creed or whatever? You've got Parsec. You just fire it up. You know, preview it from your office. No one's whining and dining you. It 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 feels a lot. I mean, it is more boring. You're no right, one watching over convenient. you. How how awful yeah. is that when you're at a preview event and they're oh, watching you play and like? Yeah, it's like go it's away. often. I mean, I feel bad for them too. I mean, back in the day, it used to be like a bunch of the dev team, right? Like people that are not media trained, they're pulled out mm-hmm. to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Each of them is assigned to a kiosk. And I used to eventually go to them and be like, I don't want you to, I don't need you. I'm not trying to be rude, but you're making me nervous. I remember actually yes. with Horizon Zero Dawn, when I played it for the first time, I was like, you guys got to just leave me alone, man. You know, <laughs> like I, I'll, I've been playing games for a long time. I'll figure it out. I'll figure right. out how to bring up the weapon wheel and, you know, I'll kill the dinosaur, the robot dinosaur. Just like, give me a moment. <laughs> so it, it yeah. is, it's fascinating. I know people love these stories and, the, and they are fun to talk about, but it is crazy looking back. And having just more wisdom and experience in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, wisdom comes with age and time. You can't just learn wisdom. It doesn't, it doesn't look, look, look. And I look backwards and I'm like, I can see why someone would be like, well, shit, I got this Sunset Overdrive um, shirt at a Sunset Overdrive um, event. I have a it's sweet a shirt. shirt too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it, it is interesting. I, I, so I am glad that things are much more democratized. Anyone can say anything now. And. Yeah, like you said, Parsec and all these things exist for... And Sony can send native builds on PSN. They do it. Mm-hmm. They just won't. And so, like, I remember, like, they do it sometimes, but not very often. And then it's in your mm-hmm. download list, and it's really annoying, and it stays there forever. But I, I feel like what I think we need the most is just this continued democratization, more voices. I know it's lame, but more speech. And then things kind of shake out, and then we can see what happens. Mm-hmm. But if I were in one of these monolithic companies, I'd be really scared. Oh, yeah. And... Rightfully so. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no one should rest on their laurels at this point. This, this is, you know, the things change so fast now also. 
like just the technology changes, just what, where viewers or readers are going changes, how, you know, again, the whims of Google, the whims of Facebook, Twitter, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I mean, and I think we've set some really, you know, frightening speech precedents for sure with these big tech companies as they start to take more and more of a role in, you know, and people say, well, that's not free speech, but it is free speech. You know, it, like these companies are huge and they're a huge part of our lives. And in, in a way that, you know, governments really aren't, you know, and so there's just a lot of uncertainty in the world. And so, yeah, I don't think people should ever, you know, just because you've got a, a job at a, I mean, and really, honestly, what journalist should ever be uh, feel safe ever? Not now. Know? I mean, unfortunately, ever. I love you know? I love journalism. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree in the sense, Eric, like we exist in this this new and exciting ecosystem and it's kind of like a it's not like kill or be killed, but like live or die kind of situation. You're either going to figure it out or you're not. You're going to be the the guy who runs the old horse stable, or you're going to be the guy that runs the garage that mm -hmm. fixes cars. It's just, it's just the way it is. Maybe I'll be on the other end of that one day. Probably. Mm -hmm. I already feel like I am in some ways. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I don't understand TikTok, And <laughs> I, I think about that sometimes too, where like my niece and nephews were like talking to me about that like three years ago and I still don't get it. And <laughs> yeah, so I know that I know. it's, it's, it's only going to come to me too. But, and I also know that I'm very, we're not like totally mono, um, dependent on patreon but we've put our eggs into that basket too and mm -hmm. sometimes i get scared of that i mean i don't say anything crazy but you never really know I, to your point mm -hmm. about free speech like i was really aghast when twitter banned donald trump i thought that was fucking crazy i still i still think that's crazy the president of the united the ex-president of the united states should, like how are you i think they should ban all politicians from twitter just take it away from everyone if you're gonna take it away from trump take it away from all these assholes, but yeah, no, I, I do. I despise Trump, but you know, thinking about that over the, the months since then, I agree with you. It's, it's, it sets a really dangerous precedent. That's the most powerful man in the world. Now it's, it's kind of a good sign that like a company can do that, mm -hmm. I guess, but it's weird that like you have almost like these oligarchies developing around the world and people rooting companies on against individuals it's very strange and backwards mm -hmm. liberalism has become very illiberal which i've been shocked by i was talking to jaffe a bit i think about it on his show as well like i'm thrilled like the one thing that i always wanted as like a paleo or a kind of a moderate conservative was like i wish we were a little bit more socially liberal and i wish we were um more uh accepting of like all free speech like who cares if you burn a flag who cares if you marry a right. gay man who gives a shit and now that almost is like we've almost taken that platform it's actually kind of nice so mm -hmm. it's it, i think it benefits like some of the other things that i believe but at the same time um i'm concerned that companies have that kind of power and that people root it on and it's not so much about the literal uh definition although it could be of freedom of speech because that of course is governmental but it's the spirit of thinking whether or not a corporation should have that kind of power and also mm -hmm. the control over the public sphere and how they can wield that if donald trump for instance i'm not a trump fan either of course but if trump if trump is uh the nominee in 2024 i think it's profoundly unfair if he's banned from these platforms i don't think sure. that that will lose the election for him and a company shouldn't have that kind of power when a company has that kind of power over say an election then you know that that company needs to be regulated differently right. than a standard corporation and that i'm saying that and that people on the far left aren't saying that the the people right. you know the Berkeley types is crazy. 
Because I well, went to college not that long too. ago, and I wasn't. I didn't hear many people like me saying this. Right. So, it, I feel like it's it's so much. You know, in the in the politics game, people that do don't usually have principles. That's the thing. They they go where the wind blows. They're 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 not upset that Trump got banned, but if their guy got banned, they would be. And so it's arbitrary, and that's dangerous. Uh, you know, and I you know if if Twitter wants to delete some of Trump's tweets when he tweets something that's particularly egregious. It goes past, you know, it breaks their terms of service, whatever. Fine. That's their prerogative. But yeah, it, you get into dangerous territory, flat out banning him. You know, take it. You, okay. Even like a temporary ban, that's one thing. Because I understand like companies have to do something with, with people who abuse their, their platforms. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird. You're right. Liberalism has become illiberal. It's really strange because I am a liberal. It's really strange to sort of be standing here with my political beliefs and watch as people who are theoretically on the same side of the, of the aisle as me just move in directions that I find completely illiberal and authoritarian and it just unpleasant. <laughs> I just find, I find the left so deeply unpleasant these I days. Agree. They're humorless. Totally they're, they're self-serious. They're self-congratulatory. They're, uh, they, they just, they just bother the shit out of me. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't feel like my, my views have really changed that much. I mean, I've probably gotten a little more conservative around some issues and maybe a little more, uh, liberal around other issues. But, you know, as we get into a lot of, a lot of these political debates and social debates, like I always describe myself as a social, as socially liberal, but lately I find myself that I find like social politics moving first further to the left than I'm comfortable with in a lot yeah, of ways I agree. and I see that you know and you know I have kids and I worry about what they're being taught in schools and I'm like wait what happened <laughs> I don't feel like I've changed but the the world has gone in such a weird crazy direction with some of this shit well this is and it's just like holy crap <laughs> this is what I tweeted at you the other day because I was surprised to see you tweet out something about critical race theory where you were saying like it's not really the definite you said something about right about the definition of critical race theory about how people am I mischaracterizing your tweet hmm. Um, you tweeted something about how, like, you were surprised that critical race theory, like, what people are debating as CRT is not CRT. Oh, oh. That was you. I said, I said right. that 90% of, or 95%, whatever, of people who are arguing about it don't know what it is. Right. Right. And uh, I tweeted. And I was referring to everybody. I wasn't referring sure. to, like, the right wingers coming after it. I know. Or I was, it was just, I don't think, it's just one of those things that's kind of this obscure, uh, like social po political like argument that most people don't even you know liberals or you know people are like well it's critical race theory that sounds good so we support it and i think a lot of conservatives are like ah we hate it because it's critical race theory and no one is actually debating well some people are but a lot of most people are just sort of retweeting or supporting whoever they support and they don't really engage with it critically just like everything everything else yeah i, I feel like i bring that up only because um well, in stepping back and thinking about what you were saying earlier, just, just before, CRT and this kind of idea, this obfuscation of, well, it's not critical race theory. And it's, it's like, but things are changing and people are identifying it and they don't know what to call it. That's all that is. And that, mm -hmm. that, was, that was why I brought it up was, yeah, it's not critical race theory. I know that's like a third year law school class that no one takes. I, I get that. But suddenly people are very concerned about definitions when everyone is a Nazi. Everyone right. is a fascist. Mm -hmm. Everyone is a homophobe and a transphobe. Oh, critical race theory. That's not critical race theory. It's like, <laughs> mm, 
I don't think you can have it both ways. If Mitch McConnell is a national socialist, okay, (laughs) then I think white fragility is critical race theory. You know, I mean, that's just that's I'm sorry. Those are the rules that I I didn't make those rules. And it's very similar to the kind of how I feel now about even cancel culture in quotes. I was Mm an early victim of attempted victim of cancel culture, obviously. I was going to ask you about that. But and. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I just I've been saying to people recently, like, you know what? Someone actually put it to me, a, a fan of mine, and I, I kind of have adopted it. It's like you don't have – I used to really be like – and people might know on Twitter if they, they follow me. I used to be a really loud proponent. We have to, talk, we have to speak out against all acts of um, whatever, a squashing of free speech. Kathy, what happened to Kathy Griffin or Bill Maher or whatever the case might be back in the day? Like people that I don't necessarily – I like Bill Maher, but pe- people that yeah. I wouldn't necessarily ally myself with. And then what I realized was like no one on that side in quotes was ever doing any of the same stuff for anyone on the other side. And so now I just don't – what I say is just I'm not a participant. If I see one of these people drowning that has been trying to drown other people, I'm not going to throw you a rope. I'm going to walk right past you. you know. So I think that that's my way of resisting in some way the, this, this increasing authoritarianism. I think people kind of realize – hopefully I'm knocking on wood – that – I'm kind of outside of it. Like I, I kind of talk to people online when they give me shit. I'm like, you're not going to be able to really hurt me. You know, mm-hmm. like you might as well take your bullshit to someone else because we're not playing that game here. And when people try to play that game with me, I try to invite them on my show. I even offer to make thousand dollar donations to, to their <laughs> charities of choice to make them appear on the show and they won't do it. You know, why is and that? Do you think like, why, why won't they show up? Well, I'll, I'll, I'm not trying to be an asshole, but I dissect a lot of these people. But I also think a lot of it is like iron sharpens iron. I'm so used to defending myself mm-hmm. that I'm very, very willing to do it. I don't say things just out of my ass. Like sometimes I'm wrong about things. We've talked in the past about um, my, how we came, became acquainted with my Mass Effect piece back in 2012. That was mm-hmm. just fucking stupid. I mean, my, my take on that. You know, you taught me a lot about, about that. I also told you that you taught me the word pernicious. And I, so I look at that and, and I just try to, um, I just try to wonder, can we get to a a position where more people are open-minded to being wrong, to having their minds changed Mm -hmm. and to also not, it's like what I was saying with Michael Malice's quote before, not boxing ourselves in, in such a way that we have to have a predetermined answer, a Kotaku, you know, six days in Fallujah happens. I wonder what, I wonder what Kotaku is going to say, right. You know? But I also don't want people to feel that way about me. And what I think I've been kind of keep keeping people on their feet, and I know you do the same in others, which is why you were saying earlier, you get called – the greatest compliment is being called both a communist and a fascist. If you're being Absolutely. called a communist and a fascist, you're definitely in a great place because no one has any idea what you are. But, yeah, if they can't pin you down, then you can't get pinned down. Right, not exactly. Thing. So, you, know, you may not score as many points with, with the, the crowd, but that's okay too. <laughs> I, I totally agree. So with cancel culture, like I just try not to be a participant. And, um, it sucked, it sucked what happened to me, but I'm so disappointed that no one seemed to have learned anything from that. We see just more and more people being, I don't want to say destroyed. I mean, someone like Scott Cawthorn or whatever, or Cawthorn or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. is a multimillionaire. He's going to be fine, right. but He'll be fine. I just don't, I just don't understand. Um, I guess it goes back to what you were saying about unpleasantness. Mm-hmm. Why is it that people want to destroy other people? as almost like what it seems to be the game is about not right it, it is it is and, a game. And it's that's, a that's not right? me yeah 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 i mean it's like so when I, I made a joke we'll talk about your your joke tw- your tweet joke because that's I, I believe the 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 nexus of your cancellation attempts but i i joked about the new halo the new fake cortana the other day and i got 
it really, you know, I, I put Cortana next to fake Cortana and I put the Halo 4 version of Cortana. She's very scantily clad or whatever. Right. And I, and I joked, I made a joke, this is why we can't have nice things, which of course is just like a, a meme. And man, people were so pissed off. You know, they were like trying to make fun of me because I all I care about is, you know, boobs or whatever. And, and the, the insult horny was thrown at me a bunch. And I'm just like, why is horny an insult exactly? Like, yeah, I don't even know. I think it's pretty much the default condition, but it's just so unpleasant. Like, it's just this humorless, like we're going to, you know, mock this person and make, and make them look bad because of this totally innocuous. I mean, it's just nothing that bad about what I said at all. It's just kind of a stupid joke. I mean, who cares? Just ignore it. But no, it's very important to a certain set of people to to make a lot of noise in a very unpleasant and very humorless way. And I just find it just really off-putting, I guess. And what what was it that you said, though? What was the thing that... that um... Oh, I, I just said on day... It was like International Women's Day. It was like day, there was a hashtag mm-hmm. day without a women, woman. And I just said peace and quiet. Yeah. <laughs> and I still think it's a really funny and stupid Al Bundy joke. It's nothing. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I immediately identified a... that that was fake outrage. No one was offended by no that. One was no offended one was by hurt that. by that. It does not matter. You'll Do you know never how many dudes probably anyone... made a similar joke? You know, like I'm sorry? Um, people, all the people that were, all these people that are mad at you have probably made a very similar joke in the past. Definitely. I mean, men and women make jokes about each other all the time. It's like, it's, it's as old as, as, Humanity, you know, making fun of the opposite sex. I mean, like, <laughs> it's it's harmless it's and it's totally harmless. It just goes to show this very silly. I don't know. It, it just it, it it's so. I think, I think it's clear Trump. This is Trump era broke a lot of people, and mm-hmm. that, yes. I mean, it's just so obvious. You, was talk, you were talking about like you didn't change. No, you probably didn't. I mean, I think that there's a lot so, of like just inherent gaslighting going on, maybe just in the in the nature of things by convincing people that they've changed when they haven't. A lot of people have gone nuts. And oh yeah, COVID didn't help either. No, COVID yeah. didn't. I mean, COVID just compounded it, and, and mm-hmm. who knows what will compound it in the future. But I just feel like when you, when something like that happens to you in the gaming industry, because that's happened to me too, I always try to look at the you know, because it gets retweeted and liked or whatever. But then you realize it's not like they don't, it's not like fans of a website or it's like themselves. It's people Mm -hmm. in the industry enhancing this thing, circulating it amongst Mm -hmm. themselves endlessly. And that's not real engagement. And that's not real reach. That's a dunk and that's fine. We all, you know, you have to be that guy. Sometimes it gets dunked on. It's just the way it goes. But it's very true. But we dunk and we get dunked on. It's, it's just the cycle of things. But I feel like there's just a lot of, it's, you had mentioned this uh, earlier in the conversation, just this, this disingenuousness and kind of just this lying and framing things as if, you know, in, in the least charitable light in order to make someone look awful. And I, I've just realized that I'm just, I'm never, there's a certain group of people I'm never going to convince. Mm-hmm. And the more I've accepted that and freed myself from that, the more I've just not worried so much about it. And the, bigger my reach has gotten because I can't please everyone and it's hard sometimes on the internet because it's all encapsulated in a a tweet someone sends you and everyone likes because it makes you feel bad about yourself and all of that but really it's the next thing the next day I was thinking about that actually like some people like Glenn Greenwald a a person we both like 
Mm-hmm. People dunk on them all the t- dunk dunk on him all the time, and I I actually appreciate it because he just continues to engage and can, continues to combat and realizes that like no one is even going to remember this tomorrow. Right. No one. Oh, yeah. Chrissy These Teigen just... was like the biggest thing on Twitter last week. Remember, like no one talks about Chrissy Teigen now. Right? I didn't even hear about it. Well, I she was Twitter like a lot. She, she, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I. Well, I'm just saying like that was like a big that was a huge thing last week or two weeks ago, and nothing about that. Right yeah. Now. Oh, it just it's it, there's just a flash in the pan and then it's gone. Uh, unless it's something you know truly enormous, but usually they're not. They're just these little, almost contrived c- controversies about nothing, and you know people score their points and they get their they get their blood sport, and then it goes away. I always I always find it weird when people actually like shut down their entire Twitter, like go private and like yeah. just completely go. It's like it's very you dramatic. know you can just block or mute people if you're really feeling it, you know, or you could just go away from Twitter for a while and come back in a week and just don't read your mentions like no big deal dude (laughs) did you see the did you see the twitter product guy one of the product leads was tweeting about some of these ideas they had a week or so ago and i tweeted at him i'm trying to find it he said something that was awesome about they are thinking about this idea where you can just yeah here it is um check out these early concepts that could help you get control unwanted attention on twitter so you can basically if someone adds you they're playing with this functionality where you can just remove yourself from the tweet completely. Like, so it's like, even if it's a a response to you, like you tweet something and it's a response to you, you can just remove that tweet. Mm -hmm. So it's just literally something they say and and no one sees it. And I'm not saying that from a censorious way In a censorious way, it just kind of cleans up your own experience. And I think, well, I I tweeted back at them. I hope they do it because I think it'll make Twitter better and more usable because people will just be way less hostile because there'll be total control over that because people just say mean things in order to, to get those those mentions or whatever the you know those accolades that you would get yeah. that dopamine hit and so it reminded me a lot of that and I feel like I because I block people pretty liberally I'm not I'm not crazy about it but I if that they brought that functionality back I would unblock everyone on my block right. everyone because there's yeah, no because way they can fuck with me at that point <laughs> it's so it's so overwhelming on Twitter though because like because if you say one thing you know a dozen people could respond to that and it's a dozen different threads and so even if you like if one of them is resolved, then this, this could be the other 11 and then they can branch off into different threads. There's no way you can actually keep track of that or deal with that in any sort of healthy way. Now, if you can just like, you know, bow out, like you're describing that, that would be pretty nice. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, it's it, yeah, it reads, you're right. It reads like, you know, an until dawn or Detroit become human fucking <laughs> yeah. butterfly effect chart, you know? And I, I, I agree. Yeah. I, and that's so I end up muting a lot of threads and I feel bad because then later I sometimes I go and I look and I'm like, oh, I missed something interesting or cool here right. because everyone's just being so annoying. So <laughs> I get you. I'm, I'm much more of a reader. I'm also going back and deleting a bunch of my old tweets. I've been doing that mm. actively. And um, I'm so it goes back to my strategy guide stuff. I'm so OCD. That's why I was a good strategy guide writer that I hate having all these tweets that respond to people and accounts that are not there anymore. So oh, I've just yeah. been going back and framing like things a month at a time, like from December 1st to December 31st, 2010, show me all my tweets and then I can go oh, and like, and remove all them. I am too lazy for that. I would just let it all be like, whatever. I'm all about inbox zero. I'm all about all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Oh, I like inbox zero. Yeah. That's, that's a good feeling. Cause oh my God, that would be another thing. Nice thing about just cutting ties with the industry entirely. It'd be like. I don't need to hear, you know, have 25 different pitches this morning, like of what I should cover of like, like just things that don't even 
relate to what I write about even even a little bit. But um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your your joke your joke that was heard around the world. What happened after this? Because you know this this seemed to be like I was so surprised by all of it because it seemed so harmless to me. You know, I just it's kind of like a, a, a silly joke, like whatever, no big deal, no one's hurt by this, and you know, then it just seemed like people were so upset and i've even watched uh i I saw you know a couple podcasts with you or listened to them with with some people that you talked to about this and kind of like trying to i don't know mend bridges or whatever and i'm just thinking to myself the whole time like what the fuck honestly this is just this is such a even a mild joke if you were to go on to any sort of like watch any sort of comedy special you know you watch like 10 minutes of bill burr or something like it just doesn't even compare. Like, why are people so mad? So I just, I'm just curious. Like, what happened? What, what did? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what happened in some way. It's, it's almost something I've still not totally thought about and absorbed completely. Yeah, as crazy as that is, I think it's obvious that people were. Um, I was a dissonant voice, kind of, in uh, a dissonant voice in the industry, and I think people just took. I think people see openings, weaknesses, and they try to take advantage of these things. And oh. I think that that was one of those situations. I just don't think I was well-regarded in a lot of media circles because I wasn't one of them. Especially, this you have to understand when this happened. This happened in March of 2017, like right after Trump was elected oh, yeah. and sworn in. So <laughs> that that is a massively important part of understanding the culture around games and how much it shifted and changed. And how much I saw people that I knew and had a lot of affection for change as well. Um, and become very weird, yeah. o- almost un- unrecognizable in a lot of ways. So I think that that's kind of what happened. And I think that it's it's gotten worse by an order of magnitude in some ways for some people. Like they can't let it go because it didn't work. It, they just try over and over again in some different ways to try to bring things up that I've said. They try to claim I'm racist or transphobic or whatever. And it's it's just like, it's not Teflon kind of stuff, but it's, it's just not real, right? So you're not going to find people in real life that like said I said anything horrible to them or mistreated someone or anything. You're not, you know, like I, I, I'm, you were talking about E3 and GDC parties and stuff. Like I used to go to all these things around the world. I never went to one E3 party, one GDC yeah. party. One, I'm a very reserved person. I'm kind to people. Uh, I'm, I tried to have, you know, I tried to mentor people at IGN and tried to treat them well and advocate for them. That's why it's so weird that I was kind of like an everyman at IGN. I tried to like take the brunt of things from bosses and I tried to bring the younger guys to and girls to lunch and, and dinner and try to listen to them and, and all of that. So it was, it was hard to kind of lose all of that in an instant in some way, because I didn't really understand that I was so dispensable to people, but I think that it's the product. It's hard not to also take that personally and think about yourself sure. in a really negative way. And I had to kind of get over that, but I also realized that it is just a moment in time that it's not really unique to me. It actually happens to lots of different people. Some people survive it and some people don't. If I didn't, if I didn't hold my ground, who knows where I'd be right now or what I'd be doing. I just knew that, you know, kind of funny. I mean, at the end of the day, when you look back at it, they, they sold me out and it is what it is. And I'm not sorry that it happened because I'm where I'm at now, but it wasn't always an easy road to get from point A to point B. And I think what kind of disappoints me the most about it is just that I don't want that to define my career to a lot of people, which I know now, now that it does, because I've submitted and contributed a great deal to this industry. And I I was remarking to Jaffe on our interview a few weeks ago that 
you know, it sucks because one of the, the downsides of it, you can control the personal aspects of it. I don't talk to most of these people anyway. It's like, you know, they're just passing friends. But it, the one aspect of it that you can't control is like losing your legacy mm-hmm. and having yourself kind of erased from things you did. And, you know, being erased from Podcast Beyond, being erased from Kind of Funny, being erased from PSI Love You, being erased from all these things that I built myself, you know, sometimes with other people, sometimes not. And that's the only downside and deficit because I am, my girlfriend Micah brought up to me not too long ago, she's like, you are very obsessed with leaving something behind. That's what she said. And I'm I'm like, I am. Hmm. I'm totally, I want to leave something behind that's good. And I just don't want that to be like the first thing people think of with me because I... I did write the definitive history of Naughty Dog. I did write the definitive history of Insomniac and Sucker Punch and Sony Band. And I did break a bunch of stories, I, you know, dozens and scores of stories I broke. I did. I was the one that told you about Demon's Souls on PS5. I, I, you know, I was the one that told you Horizon 2 was a PS4 game. I, don't remember me just for that. It doesn't define me. But un- mm-hmm. unfortunately, I can't control whether someone lets that define me for them. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Although, and, you know, optimistically... It's early days, really, when you think about it. I mean, you're Definitely. what, thirty six? I'm thirty six, yeah, and and, and yeah. It, it's been four, yeah, four years, a little over four yeah. years. So yeah, you're totally right. You're absolutely right. It, it's just that's the only thing that I, I, that comes into focus for me sometimes. Where I'm like, ah, is it? Are you? Do you really miss fake friends? Do you really miss all? Right. You know, do you, I hated working in the game industry, like as a person in the game industry, not not the what what I do now. I I, I didn't want to leave IGN to found a worse IGN basically you know like a, mm-hmm. like that was trying to do all the things IGN did so I have to watch out for my own happiness as well I think I would have come to this point eventually but it happened on that timeline for those specific reasons because of that joke for sure yeah that's I mean it's it's still hard to wrap my brain around I, I can see why it would Tell be difficult to like can like think about that because it is just it's it's you know in the in the big scheme of things, like it's just a little joke, and it's a it's a it's a sad world when jokes like that are career. I'm not going to say breaking because obviously you've gone on to do so much after that, but career like tectonic plate shifting, you know. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I guess it's probably a pretty good uh, description to say fake friends because I, I don't know. I guess if if someone if a colleague of mine made a, a similar joke. I, I would have a really hard time throwing them under the bus. Right. Because especially if, you know, because you have to be a pretty, you either have to be um, a, a very pure of heart and your history has to be awfully squeaky clean or you're a hypocrite. And my guess is most people don't have, don't haven't lived, you know, squeaky clean lives where they've never made a similar joke or said something, you know, slightly off color in their whole entire existence. Right. Uh, which, you know, and that's kind of this culture that we're building now, unfortunately, or not we, but that people are building, uh, is one where there's this sort of constant purity test. And if you if you say the wrong thing, or if you said the wrong thing a decade ago, and, and you're not in the in crowd, well, then you're cast out and you're unclean. And it's just a terrible, terrible way to 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 sort of build a society or or culture uh it's not it's not sustainable and it's not uh not sane um but it's it's definitely where we're at now and i don't know i think it's i think it's going to implode eventually uh and i think that you know maybe we'll hopefully we learn a few things but um you know and i'm all for at the same time i'm all for a lot of the the good progress that we've made and you know like you were talking about earlier like social issues like 
gay marriage and stuff. That's fantastic. I'm right. glad that society has moved on from worrying about something like that. It's, it's pointless, but, um, to move then, I feel like sometimes there's, there's a crowd that has, they have achieved some sort of victory and now they have nothing left to do. And so now there's some new, they have to, they have to keep fighting, you know, the war never ends and, uh, it just keeps getting weirder. <laughs> well, I think, I think you're right. And I think the implosion can happen at least in the, in the States as soon as 2022, if not 2024, because I think people are vastly overestimating people online, very online people, right? Mm -hmm. They really vastly overestimate how people feel out there. I mean, you would never oh, yeah. know that 75 million people, for instance, would vote for Donald Trump right. by reading Twitter, right? Now, of course, Biden got 81 million, so it wasn't nearly enough. But, and again, I'm just using that as, a, as an example. But there are many of those examples. I don't know if you saw the voter ID. Um, I thought this was awesome. The voter ID is a really controversial thing in the U.S., as maybe some of our foreign listeners don't know. And the, the, all this stuff came out from, I think, Monmouth or a really reputable PR or a polling firm where they're like, 81% of people support voter ID. But if you read, <laughs> if you read Twitter, you'd think that like the new Jim Crow, right? right. In quotes. It's the same thing with the... With the um, you know, in the Senate with the filibuster where they're like, it's the Jim Crow filibuster, but they were using it oh, against God. Donald Trump 400 times two years ago. <laughs> so that's, that's, I think the implosion is going to happen sooner because I think people are saying like, listen, and I, I've been trying to articulate this and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it properly, but when you think back about the things that have happened in the past, um, the social rights striving that has happened, good things, right? For instance, 1964 Civil Rights Act and the sit-ins and all of that for racial equality, uh, gay rights in the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s leading to um, the right to marry and all of that. These are logical things that don't affect you. You can't, um, you can't argue that a man marrying another man affects you or that you know, a, a black person going to elementary school affects you. It doesn't, right? It doesn't affect you. It has nothing to do with you and it's ridiculous. It's bigoted. But now you're getting into situations where it's like this boy is a girl. And she is going to play sports with, or right. actually vice versa. This girl is a boy or whatever it would be and is going to play with the opposite sex. And you're supposed to just accept that that's real, mm -hmm. right? You're supposed to accept the term chest feeding or, um, you know, pr uh, what is it? Pregnant person or something like that. Like menstruators, the, the menstru right? Like this, mm -hmm. these are things that start affecting people Absolutely. themselves. And that's different. Right. And so like a person, for instance, I can speak for myself, I guess I have no problem with a man identifying as a woman. I have no problem with a man being asked to be called a woman, to be called she, to have that all done. I don't care. But if you are a man and you want to identify as a woman, you can't play on the girls fucking soccer team, dude. Right. You right. can't. Well, this is the problem with the trans it. debate. We, we, we can't have a conversation about these issues because if you say anything that steps out of the very, you know, the trans activists, uh, line of uh, thinking, then you're transphobe. You know, if you question the fact that, you know, some of these guys come in and they can just destroy every female athlete's record in a year, you know, that makes you a transphobe. But it's like, okay, what about all these women? Right. These, you know, That's biological women should do it. You can't just say it's, it's, it, it doesn't affect them. You know, it's, you, you, you're not being transphobic because you care about, these other people who are being impacted by that. It's a complicated debate. It is, it's not an easy, just black and white debate. And it's fucked up to treat it that way. Exactly. And it's fucked up to treat people who, who talk about it or question some of these things 
as just immediately as TERFs or transphobes, you know, because there are actual, you know, hateful people out there. Of course. But, and they don't give a shit about this. They don't even want to have, they don't want to have a nuanced discussion either. But then you get people who actually do and who, like you're saying, like, I don't care if, if people want to identify as a different gender, but I do start to worry about things like that and like, uh, you know, teenagers or, or children that starts to get pretty dicey. And, um, you know, even just talking about it in the most mild-mannered ma way, you become a transphobe and a, and a, uh, and are cast out, and you know they'll they'll dox you and they'll go after you, and it's 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 just not it's just not healthy. This no. is not healthy. No, it isn't. <laughs> and you're right. Abigail Shire has been writing about that a lot, and mm -hmm. I, I feel like for th th that's the point, is and that's you made you made a great point, exactly where I was going, which was it's perfect. All of these affirmative rights that we've gained, rightfully so, for people that have been cast down and separated and, and mistreated and all of that, it doesn't affect you. But when, you're, when your daughter is playing on a soccer team against another team with a, a girl that, is, that was born a man, that's, that does affect you. Mm -hmm. And when you are going to a Lamaze class or something, which is supposed to be a place kind of for, you know, I guess, biological birthing women to learn breathing techniques or stuff. And you, you, that's supposed to be, a, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like boy scouts. Like when they had to accept girls, it's like girl scouts yeah. shouldn't have to accept boys. It's like, what is going on here? You know? Right. And, and so these are things where I'm wondering it's people. I kind of equate them as the, it's the next civil, you know, it's the next civil rights thing. And I'm like, but it's, it's not because now right. like we're twisting reality in such a way that it's, it is affecting everyone. And we, I know girls in Connecticut are suing the state for this because they missed out on their scholarships because of it. And mm -hmm. all you have to know is, and it comes up all the time, is that like an under-15 boys soccer team destroyed the World Cup girls team in a, in a yeah. scrimmage a few years ago. You know? Oh, yeah. So the World Cup girls team that won everything, yeah, right, was yeah. beaten by a 15-year-old boys soccer team in Texas. Yeah. That's Biology true. actually matters. Right. Because it's, it, it's, you, you just can't change. It's, it's just science, man. Like, you cannot change these fundamental aspects of, of what makes us, you know, the physical beings we are. I mean, I am so much bigger than most, I mean, I'm a big guy in general, but like, if I just said I was a woman and, and started, you know, playing like some of these sports, like that just my, the muscle and bone mass, this women just, they don't biologically cannot compete with that. It's just an issue of fairness. And right. if we're talking about fairness, if fundamentally the, the issue with trans rights or gay rights or any of these, it is that, is equality and fairness, then we can't just throw out fairness while we, while we talk about these issues. You know, we can't say, you know, we want the world to be more fair for trans people and to get that, we're going to make it less fair for biological women. That doesn't seem like a very good approach to this, uh, very dicey debate. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend plays roller derby, um, though it's been shut down with, with, with the pandemic, but in roller derby, you know, that's a very physical sport. You're, mm. you're skating around a rink and you're running into people and, um, you know, and the issue even beyond the trans issue has been, uh, you know, with the league having, having male players playing with female players. Um, and it's just, I, I've never really been, you know, it's all about equality. And I just never really liked that because some of these guys, when they run into a woman on skates can really hurt them badly, Yes, of course. you know, really badly. And, it, and it, so whether you're uh, identifying as male or you're a male identifying as female, you have the physical 
characteristics and size and muscle mass to really do damage that, you know, maybe, you know, there are some chicks out there who can do a lot of damage too. But even if you're a bad roller derby player and you are, you have a hundred pounds and a lot of that's muscle on top of the, the strongest girl on the team, you could, you can hurt someone's back. You can fuck them up permanently. And there's, you know, that just that, sorry, it matters. <laughs> that's that's be... exactly right. And it's what you were saying about the kind of the Overton window shifting in such a way that we're getting in the weird spaces now when it's when, mm -hmm. when you're talking about being socially liberal, which I consider myself incredibly socially liberal I'm pro sex yep. worker I'm pro drug legalization, mm -hmm. you know, polygamy, I don't care. I really don't care what people do right like with themselves. If you want to identify as a woman and you want to marry a man and you I don't, I don't care, you yeah. know, but like, it's almost painful how much I don't care about that. But I do care when we have to start bending reality. Mm -hmm. And I don't, it's the same thing where it's like trans women or women. I'm like, okay, I mean, I'm not going to fight with you about that, but it's not really true. I mean, you know, well, that's you could be a that trans, wanna, yeah. you could be a trans woman. Why can't we just, why can't we just have language where it's like there are women and there are trans women, there are men and there are trans exactly. men. Why is that so offensive? Why is okay. that so horrible? This is what I don't get. And I'm glad you brought that up because Everyone always says now, gender is a construct. There are multiple genders, right? You hear that all the time. There's so many genders, infinite genders, whatever the fuck. But a trans woman is a woman. Okay, but you just said there's multiple genders. So are there just two genders where it's all just two? Or are there multiple genders? What is it? Make up your mind. Yeah. Because well, a trans woman is a, is a trans woman. I mean, we say trans woman specifically because dude, they are not a biological or cis woman I right it's it's it's, it's 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 just the way words work we don't have to right. disrespect them we don't right. have to treat them any differently but it is a descriptor and i yes. don't see why it's really that bad because what what it really is is ask the reality is and i've really been trying to articulate this in my own mind is I'm, i feel for trans people because they're trying to fit into this male female dichotomy generally in society mm -hmm. in which they feel like they have to kind of ask people to look the other way and fake this thing Mm -hmm. While we kind of know that they're not like a natural born woman or a natural born man, and maybe our minds need to expand to your point about like, well, just incorporating more ideas of what mm -hmm. is femininity or what is masculinity without bending the actual definition of like a woman. A woman doesn't have a penis, you know? I'm right. sorry. Like these things, these things have a definition. It's no, I'm not trying to disrespect you. And those are the kinds of conversations, like you said, where these are, these are not affirmative like rights, these are things that actually affect other people. And so they have to be talked about with more deliberateness, you know, women's mm -hmm. spaces and women's um, bodies and all these kinds of things. I'm a little surprised by it. It's why, it's why I think intersectionality starts to eat itself because mm -hmm. there's clearly a hierarchy here. <laughs> Womenhood is not as important as transhood in, in the hierarchy right. of in intersectionality, become, yeah. which, which I find very strange, you know, um, and I feel for women because I think that a lot of them have been kind of cowed. I know that they have been. A oh, lot of them have been. And you see with J.K. Rowling and others just uh, speaking yeah. up. And you read what she says and it's like she oh, didn't say anything bad, dude. She didn't say anything. It's so measured and it's so compassionate and it's so reasonable. And yet right. it, is, it is the, you know, people are just so anti-Harry Potter and the whole thing now. It's like, it's like she went out and started murdering children or something. It's. Or told some International Women's Day joke. I don't know. Something really bad, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, and but, also, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're set, hey, by the way, Eric, you're setting up, I fear for trans women especially because mm -hmm. they obviously have to fit into this, this beauty archetype in the West. Sure. They're never going to fulfill it. 
for many people and that's sad that sucks because they're never going to feel connected probably from the inside and the outside in a way that will fulfill let's say like a straight man's desire for femininity right Mm -hmm. and i feel like it almost should be built in to the social construct that these things are different such that i feel like trans women would be safer and happier being identified as such in my opinion that way they don't find themselves in a because it's always like you know trans women are in danger what if a trans woman is with a man and, f- and the man finds out and I'm like, I feel like you should be telling the man right. that you're a trans be on, woman long before be that there. happens. Yes, absolutely. Um, because, you know, people will say like, well, you know, you have to, you have to, if you're into, into women, of course you're into trans women. And I'm like, well, that mm-hmm. wouldn't, that wouldn't work for me. No offense. No, no, no offense. That's, you know, that's so, totally unreasonable. I, right. I, I've gotten into this debate also, this whole like idea of like um, the super straight thing came out a little while ago and there was all this controversy. But the idea that you're transphobic if you don't want to be with a trans woman to me is so backwards. Like who is allowed to tell you what your sexual preference is? Who, crazy. What, how, that, how is that a, an issue that the left is promoting? Like sexual desire, sexual preferences are deeply personal and... You can't tell anyone what they should or shouldn't like. And again, if we are accepting that there are multiple genders, well, you know, then we got to also have hope that there are, there's somebody for everybody, right? Maybe some guys want to be with trans women and they don't want to be with biological women. Cool. Great. But I don't have to be that, you know, you know, it's just like, you can't tell. It's like that. I don't remember who it was, but a few couple years ago, there was that porn actress and she didn't want to have do sex scenes with gay guys. And she was oh, shamed right. and humiliated on Twitter, and she killed herself. And um, it's like, how dare you tell this girl she they, she's not homophobic for this? She's worried about her body. sexually transmitted diseases, which there is a higher risk. That's just science. That's just fact. And it's her body. She can be with whoever she wants. How are we shaming a sex worker into not having sex with the people that we think she should be with? And it's the same thing. Like uh, you know, if you're if you if you're not supposed to tell a trans person that they shouldn't be trans. Well, how can you tell a non-trans person that they should want to be with a trans person? Or, or if they're, or it's just as bad as if you tell someone who wants to be with a trans person that they shouldn't be. I mean, it's mm. just fucking crazy. Right. And, and it's, and the fact that we've entered a realm where this conversation we're having would be perceived as transphobic rather than as just like basic humanity. Like we're just trying to talk about how to make civilization work a little bit better. That's crazy to me. And of course, of course, we're two <laughs> cis, white, hetero males. So we're really not supposed to talk about anything. We're at the anymore. very bottom of the intersectional <laughs> charts. Oh, yeah. Like in the corner. I feel, <laughs> yeah. and that's that to me, because I agree with you. Like, actually, what I'm saying, I feel like is pretty compassionate, which is that yeah. maybe we should just instruct society through action that we are, that there are more than two genders. There's. Right but that everything gravitates towards kind of like the a and b so or the zero and one so like we have trans women and we have people kind of women on a bet and a you know and they're on a spectrum and males mm-hmm. on a spectrum and some people that are in, you know non-binary and all the, it's like i don't care about any yeah, of that. that's fine i'm just asking you to not tell me that i need to pretend because i'm not right. going to right like there at some point we have to at least i'm going to treat with respect i'm going to treat with love i'll treat you no differently than anyone else and i think you should be able to do whatever you want if that's not good yeah. enough for you, I don't know what to say about that. But that's a lot more than a lot of people would. That's a lot more charitable than a lot of people treat me. I'll tell you that much. And I, I just feel like, again, it goes back to what affects another person and what doesn't. And I feel like with the trans, I don't even know how we got on this conversation, although I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. by it. I think because I listen I to a lot of stuff about it. But, <laughs> yeah, me too. But um, 
it's just kind of like in the it's like the du jour right now. Mm. But I feel like in such a, in such a way that people are start, well, actually, I remember what it was. It was 2022 and 2024. And I feel like a lot of these things are going to start imploding because people are being pushed too far. Right. Like mm-hmm. they're saying to themselves and I think they're being honest. This was the through line. I remember now. I'm not homophobic. I'm not transphobic. I'm not racist. I don't treat anyone differently. I raise my kids. You know, I don't have kids, but I'm, I'm just speaking royally. I raise my children with respect. They go to school and we go to church or whatever the case might be. Why are you just bearing down on us as mm-hmm. if we are criminal in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, be, for instance, white guilt and the entire idea of like, you know, slavery and all of that. Well, it's, it's mixed up in such a way that like my family had nothing to do with that. Right. Like why? But even if we did... It would be like going to Germany and holding everyone to account there because their grandfathers and great-grandfathers were Nazis, right? right? And I just don't think that that's a very productive way to move forward. And in Germany, they have a lot of culpability in what happened and a lot of deniability, and they don't teach it and they don't talk about it, and it's illegal to bring up Nazism and all of that kind of stuff. And I actually think that's also dangerous because then it allows people to kind of forget about the things that have already happened. So we should be teaching people about the racist past of the United States. Absolutely. It is very complicated. Howard Zinn is my favorite mm-hmm. historian, right? He's the one that kind of shook everyone awake in the 90s about a lot of this stuff. Of course, Gordon Wood and others as well. And I look at it and I just think, shouldn't we just try to progress? Shouldn't mm-hmm. we say this happened? It was fucked up that this happened. It has a series of horrifying ramifications. The South never even economically recovered until after World War II. The people live in destitution. There are institutional racist legacies all over the place. Sure. I, I don't but why are little kids being taught everything through this lens? Right. It's fucking weird. It's not <laughs> why right. Are- it's just because you're not giving ladies... them a chance to be different. You're not giving them a right. chance to to they. It's nature versus nurture. They didn't come out of the womb like that, right? Like so, right. give them a chance. Present them with modernity. Present them with choice and option. Just and it happens over and over again, right? I grew up in a pretty diverse place, and I didn't really think twice about having a black friend or an Hispanic friend or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like that stuff only be, you only become cognizant of that when you hear other people, older people talking about or you hear it on tv or whatever the case might be or on the radio so give them a chance man right you know like give them a chance right teach them teach kids about i mean teach kids history that's i mean that's really teach everyone history history is riddled with good and bad right i mean people should know about the the holocaust people should know about slavery people should know about the civil war and about world you know all these different events and and yes, and about the structural, you know, I, you know, I'm personally deeply against the war on drugs, and I think that that's a, that that perpetuates racism and structural racism, or whatever you want to call it, uh, and because it, well, and I would say classism, I think it negative most negatively impacts the lower classes, um, and so that's something we can talk about. That's something we can debate how we how we can change the laws that that affect. But when you just when you just say when you just start talking about like whiteness as inherently fragile or you know the white supremacy that's in all of us it really i think it really just it it not only is not true but it turns people against this shit like i I swear to god it has a negative it has a backfiring effect that people don't realize how dangerous this could be like uh, like i mean 
I think it's probably not. I think more than anything, you're probably right. There's going to be a reckoning of some kind. It's not going to be like everyone white suddenly starts becoming actual racist. No. But they're going to get fed up with people who talk about this shit, like, from on high. Like, oh, you unclean masses, you must must read our books about anti-racism and reform and... I'm yeah, read Robin D'Angelo and educate yeah. yourself. Yeah, I, then hire her for right. your, your company uh, anti-racism weekend so you can learn all about how your skin color is bad. <laughs> and yeah, that'll, the thing, that'll the fix immutable, racism. Yeah, the immutable characteristic <laughs> that you have nothing to do with and yeah. we're just born into this world. Now you have to wear that like an albatross around your neck just like the people in the past had to wear it around their albatross. So it's mm-hmm. just generational crime, basically. It's great, isn't it? And then we can yeah. just... We can just do this on t- <laughs> generation after generation and just saddle them. And that's what I was saying. Like the reaction, so the reaction, a lot of people are totally normal. It's what I said earlier. They want prosperity. They want peace. They want family and friends. They want, you know, a safe town, whatever the case might be. But when you start asking them to bend truth, they're going to react and you're going to see it. And I, I've said, God, I fucking said it ad nauseum. It is class. That is the issue. It is not mm-hmm. race. It is not gender. It is not any of those things that are immutable. It is class. It is. I'm screaming into the microphone. (laughs) It is class. It's class. It's money. And it's until people don't understand. Because, Eric, you know, Donald Trump got more of the minority vote than any Republican candidate in history. I just told you about the Monmouth polling about voter ID, which is supposed to protect minority voters in which 81% of minority voters want voter ID. You're just seeing a dissonance between reality and what mm-hmm. people are telling you is reality. And that is only going to be able to come to a head at the ballot box. And it's going to, and it's not going to be people reacting like fascists. It's going to be a right-wing populist that is going to mm-hmm. say, that is wisely going to sound a lot like Bernie Sanders and a lot mm-hmm. like Donald Trump and just say like, oh, yeah, we probably should have an immigration policy. You're right. Oh, um, yeah, this, uh, this conversation about gender and sex is a little more convoluted than this. Yeah, defund the police. Hmm, that yeah, doesn't sound like oh a very God. good idea. That's all you're going to need, right? Because <laughs> right. otherwise, all the policies are set. I think we're on the course towards Medicare for all. I think we're on the course towards a more reasonable uh, immigration policy. We are on an anti-war course. All of these things are kind of in play with inertia right now. You just need someone like a figurehead to say, like, no, you're not crazy. This shit doesn't make any sense. And people are lying to you and there's some sort of game they're playing with you and they want to pit everyone against each other when we are in amongst the most – we are amongst the most accepting, kindest generations in the history of humankind. Mm -hmm. You know? If you were born gay – well, if you were born gay in Saudi Arabia right now, you're not going to be in good shape. But if you were born gay in the United States 100 years ago, you better keep that to yourself. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. If you have have something – if you're a white man who has a – if it has an eye for a black woman in the South in 1920, you better not tell anyone because right. that's real danger. Yeah. And we've come – and that is horrible and people should learn about it. It happened, yeah. right? I was glad that people were talking about the um, Tulsa race riots recently, which no one yeah. ever talks about. And all the things that have happened over in Baltimore in the 60s and everything that has happened is fucking horrible. Yep. But we don't have to live in that space forever. Right. And I just don't – I don't get why we don't have a more affirmative and positive message from someone saying like – we should learn about the past, but it is the past. You don't have to tell me about it. I studied American history in college. Like, I, I love history. But why don't we just give, us, give, give ourselves a chance to live a different way? Yeah. A way where yeah. 
uh, it's okay to say a woman and a trans woman are different, but they should be treated exactly the same. It's okay to to tell a, a black kid and a white kid they don't have to worry about their 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 skin color. They should just be friends and don't worry about that. You know, like yeah. it doesn't matter. It's actually great that you have no idea how great it is. It's great yeah. that you don't know that you're holding hand a white and a black kid are holding hands, and that would have never happened fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. That's great. So maybe we should. Yeah. instill that in our children so that they unto put that onto theirs and so on and so forth and that's what i yeah want. yeah I, I if mean, that's I mean, con- I think... by the way if that's controversial everything that's i've said right, is yeah. if anything i've said is controversial <laughs> then i think you live in another world i, and, I agree and, and yeah i i think and i think as to your point of like a populist uh in the vein of like bernie sanders uh, but on the right um well people mis- mis- misunderstand just how conservative a lot of minority communities are you know, black communities and Hispanic communities are not, you know, you know, how many, you know, you hear the, the phrase Latin X a lot now, yeah. but how many actual Latin people use that phrase? No, almost I, none. I would say that it's almost none. And I think a lot of them are offended by it, partly because it's offensive to the Spanish language. Right. It's rewriting <laughs> their language, which is a gendered yeah. language. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with the gendered language. There, why? I, I still can't understand what's, no one has actually put into words why that's a bad thing. Like, there, is there something worse about the female gender so that, like, Latina is worse than Latino? And so we have to say Latinx instead? Like, why? I think why? it's also no one encompass, like, you know, people that don't identify as either. And I, it's like, you sure. can't, you can't, it's 0.3% of the population is transgender, apparently. Like, you can't, so we should respect them. The smallest minority is the individual. So the smallest minority should be protected. There's no doubt about that. And Absolutely. Thomas Jefferson would agree with that. Like that, that that's a totally um, that's totally congruent with the con- the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And I agree with that. But you can't also just rewrite language in order to cater right. to a very small group of people, m- amongst whom I don't think many of them even want to do this. So I think there, I think a lot of them probably don't want all the extra attention right. that all of this is bringing down on their heads. Like right, let, like just let us live our lives and just treat us with respect, and you don't have to actually rewrite the whole you know a whole language to yeah, accommodate language because we don't language. want to be responsible for that because that's going to piss people off and you know what i feel like there's a lot of sort of sacrificial lamb stuff going on with people's lives in in these activist circles not everyone wants to be involved and you know i think that's the problem you see with activism a lot of the time is that it gets ahead of itself and it puts and i think it puts people in the crosshairs when they they just want to be left alone and um you know, whatever the cause might be. But yeah, it's, you know, you know, I think, yeah, and I think with all these communities, I think, you know, white, black, uh, Hispanic, Asian, uh, most of these, most people do not enjoy this kind of politics. You know, woke politics, whatever. It's not, it's just not the politics of a normal human being. It's not what, it's not what people worry about. People worry about putting food on the table. They worry about leading satisfying lives. They worry about their relationships and their kids. And, um, you know, while some of these things probably do bring a little bit more equality or safety or whatever, a lot of them, I think, are just, they're not what people are voting about. They're not what people want to, I mean, I know there, there are people, I read this article about women paying like $2,500 a plate to have this, uh, the, this dinner where they learn all about white supremacy and anti-racism. 
And these, you know, like, uh, it's a, like a wow. black chick and an Indian chick are, are running this dinner and all these, you know, white women come in and are educated for $2,500 a head. And I'm like, wow, that is a hustle right there. I mean, that yeah, is a get hell it. of a racket, man. Yeah, get like, it. If, you, if it's there, I mean, don't do shit. you. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy, it's, though. It's nonsense. And I, I just feel like a populist message, an anti-war message, all that stuff is going to be really popular with either side. Mm-hmm. So it's the person who first gets to the populist economic message and says, yeah, those motherfuckers are crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think when someone says that, everyone's going to get up and start clapping. I really do oh, feel yeah. like when someone is bold enough, like a mainstream figure is bold enough, you almost saw it with Jon Stewart when he was on um, Colbert and he was talking about COVID last week or whatever, where you saw like a really seismic shift and like, whoa, it's Everyone was kind of looking around like, is it, is it okay? John Stewart is saying it's okay. You know, and I feel like you're going to need a political yeah. figure like that to say, uh-huh. like, no, these motherfuckers are nuts. Yeah. And we shouldn't live in this racial society like this. It's race. It's, it's, it's neo-racism. Right. And Dress I really feel like when justice. someone stands up and says it and they say, listen, the richer your enemy, we're going we're gonna to even things out with the economy. Everyone's going to pay their fair share in taxes. We're not going to separate ourselves by race and gender and all this shit. We're not rewriting the English language. We're not doing. We're not going to fight foreign wars and drop bombs on people. We're, every, you're getting a sixty-five percent of the vote. Oh yeah. You know, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I. It's just like totally. it's just going to take I, someone to, to say mm-hmm. it because I think people just need to know, look around, and say like, is it okay? Are we allowed to say that it's absolutely insane that we're being asked <laughs> to pretend that this is all normal? Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, and when it happens, we'll see. I, I think there's also going to be some lawsuits, um, you know, especially with the, the, the trans issues. I think we're going to see some lawsuits, other things that kind of even that shit out a little bit and bring a little sanity to that. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, th- there'll be some other crazy shit that happens later. And these, these things come in, in it's, it's cyclical, right? <laughs> like just totally. when you start to get back on track, some other crazy shit comes up and you're like, wait, okay, we're doing this again? Like really, like... Yeah, but I mean, I like your optimism in that regard, though. I think I think it really could. Uh, it really could happen. Um, I think Trump was the wrong guy for no. that because he was too divisive. Yeah, I think, he's too much. You know, he's too much. Sanders, I li- I really like Sanders, um, but also probably maybe just maybe too old and too. I don't know. He's too I, far I to the left, but, too, but too you'll notice left. that he's anti-woke. He definitely is. Oh, yeah, I don't think people give is. him enough credit for that because some people came after me about saying something like that recently. And I'm like, you're really confused if you think that, that Bernie right. Sanders and the squad, for instance, are aligned on this stuff. They're not. Well, like, think Bernie think Sanders is Bernie pro-gun and all this shit. You know? Yeah. So. There's a reason there were you know, Hillary supporters who are a lot, a, lot of, a lot of woke people in the Hillary camp. They came up with the Bernie bros thing to smear supporters of Bernie Sanders because – He's not woke. I mean, that's right. literally the, I mean, well, and because they wanted Hillary to win, but that's just the truth. Yeah. He's, he's not a insane on guns. He's not, I mean, he really is a pretty level headed guy as, as far as they come. Um, but yeah, I think you come, you, you get a populist who's younger and just can hold it together a little more and not be quite so batshit as, as a Trump. Um, and not quite so, ah, uh, what's the word? Um, unpredictable. I guess, um, and just you know, and but I, although I think that Trump, some of Trump's appeal was his his ability to just sort of like say anything, you know, talk shit to anyone, just go out there and surprise everybody. I think that people yeah. were they found that appealing because it wasn't like <laughs> these stuffy politicians who have everything planned out so perfectly, you know. Um, but yeah, if you can harness that, but also not 
not always say terrible things about about people. Maybe you know. Well, also, the self pity I don't think was a really great look for Trump. No, he, he's the wrong. I don't think you need a real. I mean, it goes back to John McCain calling himself a maverick, but I don't think you really need a yeah. maverick like character in the presidency. You need a staid, steady, and predictable person mm-hmm. that has a policy and people around him that he can trust. You can't have chaos. It was very entertaining to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was not <laughs> clearly effective. I know that a lot of it wasn't effective because everyone was against him from the beginning. But what they don't understand is that you just take Donald Trump, you dress it up in a little bit of a nicer, nicer words and better words, better vocabulary, and you remove the craziness and the bravado, and um, yeah. most people agree with it. So yeah. that's all you yeah. need. You don't necessarily need that. I actually have been keeping an eye on that guy, Rick, uh, DeSantis, was it Rick DeSantis or whatever, Don, Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, in Florida, the, the governor down there who I think is going to run for president, if Trump doesn't, and I think he might be the guy like, that is going to take on the tech companies, take on the oligarchies and the monopolies, uh, say like it is on all of these social issues and respect people's um, individual rights. But as I said on Twitter a few days ago, if it comes from the left – and someone is like, listen, I'm completely anti-woke and I'm for Medicare for all. I'll be like, okay, fine. Yeah. As long as you obliterate this wokeness, yeah. then I'll take that deal. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take yeah. that deal every time. Yeah, totally. So yeah. Uh, we'll see though. It'll be interesting to see. Um, well, cool. I think we've gone about two hours. So cool, that's, that's probably a good good spot to wrap it up. Uh, yeah, it was really fun. Uh, wide ranging and um, only mildly controversial. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah whatever. Uh, cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to uh, give give yourself a plug? Yeah, you can just find me on Twitter. I'm at No Taxation, and I run Last Stand Media on Patreon. Bunch of gaming podcasts, but you can find me if a you whole want. Bunch. No, no big, no big deal. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Well, take care. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>